Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So in order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to pay attention to and hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that happen. And I would love to learn more about the audience. So go to PodSurvey, that's P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y, PodSurvey.com slash James, and take a quick totally anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers and and even content that you won't want to skip. So once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash James, J-A-M-E-S. Thanks for your help. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. You and I are talking. Like, you can have anybody in this chair. You know, you're easy to talk to. So you could have anybody in this chair, and the interaction would be completely different from, like, what it would be online, where someone takes on... It's almost like a video game where they take on an evil avatar and they spew their id, their repressed rage at someone from their childhood pain that they want to just take out on someone else. And everyone's like working out their own childhood issues in this illusory video game world, this this like avatar world where people just taking out, spewing and yelling at each other without even having that human connection, which you're talking about. Right. I mean, I think everybody agrees that's bad. Mm-hmm. And yet... What's the solution? Is there a societal solution or is it just going to get worse? Brian Scott McFadden. Hey. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I have been such a fan of your comedy for years now. Thank you. Um, And uh, you you mentioned an idea to me the other day and I thought it would be a great topic for a podcast, which is uh, kind of... I think you mentioned political incorrectness in comedy, which is of course happens every day. And sure. it's, and it's, you know, and there's a, there's a line, just like there's a line in any kind of communication, there's a line. Yeah. And, and I think it's a little further onto the politically incorrect side in comedy, but where, where is that line and where should it be? Yeah. And then, and then it, it gives rise to the conversation of political incorrectness in society in general. Yeah. So I feel like even when we were kids, we were aware when some, like the words politically incorrect probably first started when we were like in our twenties. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, but it's just gotten, it's gotten into a disease almost mm-hmm. where like, if you're politically incorrect, it's not just like, Oh, okay. I need to maybe think about this a yeah. little bit more and then speak. Now, if you're politically incorrect, you're damned to hell. Yeah. 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 You're marginalized and you're, and, and it, it it's metastasized because I mean, in the, in, the, in the Trump era, it's been used to use, in the Trump era, it seems to have been used to describe almost anything. I'm not going to be politically incorrect, like, about anything. Like, comedians, that was the beauty of comedy, was that comed- comedy was this entity in which there was this freedom 
to say things and to and to discuss things in a way with the recognition that comedians had a kind of cachet because of the environment, because of the context, because of the setting in which we t- we speak, that that we were allowed to say things because it didn't have this political importance. We were comics. We we're the clowns and that saying the absurd things to the king or whatever. We're the jesters, just going crazy, and we were just sort of. And I don't. And I do have some theories on where that shifted because it seems like. Now we're imbuing all of society with the same standards of behavior and comedians with the same levels of, of acceptability of speech that we hold politicians to. And I think that's insane. Right. Like, like, just, like uh, that's insane. T- take, take an extreme example where yeah. Kevin Hart this is not even an extreme example. Actually, yeah. but this is a, a prominent example. Yeah. Kevin Hart was uh, originally denied being you know, they, they took away being the host of yes. the Oscars, Oscars because of tweets he made about uh, uh, gay people 20 yeah. years ago. Yes. yes and yeah. uh, and then they asked him to back because they couldn't find another host or a place, right. and he refused. He refused. <laughs> I love that. So, <laughs> so and, and, the, and the question is, like, so it's not only, like, he, it's not like he said something politically incorrect yesterday. It was, like, I forget how many years ago. It was either 10 or 20 years ago. It was some long time ago. Not that it was, and, and here I feel like I have this, not that it was good that he said that then. No, no. But, uh you know, the standards we're holding to people are not even what they're saying today, but what they said 20 years ago. Well, that's all separate. That's an even separate issue. Not only are we holding people. <laughs> okay. If you want to say that the cultural tides have shifted, fine. Okay. We, we, we have these new standards, but if you're going to backwards engineer that stuff to stuff people said 20 years ago and get in a time machine and go back and say, you shouldn't have said that. And you should have known that 20, two decades later, you, sh- that's going to, I, that's to me such madness. I can't even, I don't even comprehend. There's possibility for enlightenment and growth in people. And we've all undergone shifts in our consciousness and what we perceive to be things that we say that we go, oh, that was a little harsh or something. But you're not allowed that because, because I mean, the hard thing is like a good example. Now, people can look at that and go, oh, and it, it I, I think it was a certain amount of time ago, but it wasn't like it it's still people go, well, he shouldn't have said that back then. Eddie Murphy's album, <laughs> if you listen to that or watch that now, uh, Delirious, the as as Joe Matarese comic comic does a whole bit about this, where I think the num the, the the first cut on Eddie Murphy's album is faggots. It's called it's called faggots. The word faggots is used, and it's literally on the CD if you buy it. And it's and he uses that word all through that special. Now Eddie Murphy's still working in the business, you know. Like like I, I have people if if you talk to Eddie now, he'd go, I probably wouldn't use that word now. It's like it's like, but. I don't think Eddie Murphy should he not get an Oscar because for a future performance because he used those languages. It's it's a weird thing to suddenly say. Okay, this we've shifted the language. I get it. I I don't necessarily agree with it, but to totally take that and then go, well, you should have known. You should have known in the future that things were going to change. You're like. How would anyone, people laughed and thought it was weird, like, like, or something and thought it was funny. And it just seems odd to me. And I get kind of, I'm just fascinated by that dynamic. Like, how can you say to, to somebody, you, oh, 20 years ago, you should have known not to use that language. <laughs> it just you know, doesn't make any sense. And it, it's interesting too, because there's so many different branches mm-hmm. to go off here. So maybe I should almost listen. Sure. So one branch is, well, are, are, are we sort of saying, comedians kind of have 
a, a hall pass to get away with more than than other uh, uh, jobs of in society yeah. and so yeah, on, yeah. like ranging yeah. from politicians to parents to teachers to whatever. And, and I say, and I say, a, an emphatic yes okay. to that. Okay, so, and that is an argument that I understand a lot of people don't like. Right. I have the argument that yes, because your role in society, the context in which you're operating, uh, matters. And 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 if you're in a particular position. We, we now have elevated comedians or consider comedians to be uh, thought leaders. Whether you think that's good or bad, that's an argument we can have whether that, but, but I also think that, I also think that the context in which comedians operate and the jobs that they have and the skill set that they bring means something. And, and a lot of times, and this is an argument I always have, a lot of comedians who say, Oh, this crowd is too politically correct. You know, you guys don't like night. So many times I'll see comedians do just a terrible joke that isn't funny. And they'll use the shield of, or you guys don't allow my edginess. You don't like, and it's like, no, your joke sucks, dude. Write better. You know, it, if you're going to wade into any difficult topic, then the, the difficulty bar is raised. You better bring your A game and you better write something that really brings the heat and really brings something smart and funny. If you're going to wade into racial waters or you're going to wade into something that's edgy about gender or sexuality, then, then the game has changed. It's like Steph Curry. There's like, we're, we're now a different era of comics where, where you better just, you can't just do stupid old racial jokes like ah, Puerto Rican steel or whatever that was in the seventies. You know what I mean? Like, like it's not there. We're not there. That doesn't mean you can't make jokes about race or anything else. It just means that the game has been elevated. And so don't use that. St I hate that. See, as much as I hate political correctness, I even hate more people who use the idea that, Oh, you guys just don't like my edginess. You're too politically correct. No, that joke, blows dude like write something funny or insightful you know right so so if you're the comedian in that case how do you know you know you have to have a lot of self-awareness to say okay it, here's here's a situation where i just simply needed to write better and and i yeah. didn't have the hall pass right you know to be to 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 test the line so whereas someone like john stewart who mm -hmm. could be argued either ruined the game or changed the game, mm -hmm. he kind of blurred the lines between comedian yeah. and news reporter. So if you called him yes. a, a, a news show, he would say, no, absolutely not. I'm a comedy show. Yes. And yet at the same time, by, by kind of holding up the banner of political correctness in most cases and pointing it out in, in, you know, among politicians and yes. in the hypocrisy of society, he sort of made himself more than a comedian. Well, see, that's the thing. That's where you, but that's what that show was. And it's still a show, regardless. Mm -hmm. It was still a com it was on Comedy Central. Stewart himself did not want that mantle. He was doing a comedy show. It was it was it was placed on him to be a thought leader. Liber liberal liberals who were so uh, upset about losing to Bush, you know, when Bush beat Gore. This is what my, I'm yeah. glad we brought that up because this is like a passionate subject for me because I always thought that's where it switched. You're, I, I, I feel like that era changed what people's perception of comedy was. And that's the, I think this is my own personal viewpoint, but like I noticed the shift 
John Stewart was doing this great and he was brilliant at it and it was funny and it was insightful and it was great. But then they started wanting John Stewart. You remember this rally that they had where they wanted John Stewart to run for uh, like yeah. they, and, and they wanted it to turn into this book. I'm like, why are you turning to the this guy's doing his job? He's doing he's mocking Bush and he's mocking and he's really bringing some really insightful commentary to. The, and at that moment. There seemed to be this kind of impotent feeling on and people who were angry at politics, angry at at their inability to affect politics. But we can, but we'll we'll affect culture. We can get comic. We'll get com- comedians became this important voice, right? Because in the I, wilderness. I think of, I think comedians and le- let's say John Stewart thought of himself maybe as the court jester in this massive yes, court of yes, America, yes. and the court jester is 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 well known for not only being funny, but for being smart. the only one, yeah, who was smart enough to tell the, to yes. see the truth and tell the truth. Yes. And then- Emperor I, has no clothes, yes. And I and I think, and I'm, I'm just playing the devil's advocate because sure. obviously John Stewart's a great comedian and it was a great show, but um, maybe he even blurred those lines either intentionally or unintentionally. Like I remember one time he made fun of uh, Jim Cramer, who was a, you know, economic commentator on CNBC. Mm. And, um, I remember that. And then, and he had him on a show too. And yeah, then he, yeah, 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 and, yeah. And Jim said, uh, well, John Stewart's quote unquote, just a comic, you know, as, as we're saying here, yeah. but then John Stewart had him on the show and Jim thought it would just be a friendly show. Oh, sorry about that. Blah, blah, blah. Right. And John Stewart ripped him apart. Yeah, yeah, Jim yeah. wasn't ready for that. And it really, it, affected the temperature of of how people viewed the economy and 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 Jim in particular. I mean, right. I'm friends with him. I know he was personally <laughs> upset about it and um or or trying not to be upset about it. But you know, at what point is was John Stewart kind of you know the leader of 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 you know the voice of the people who couldn't speak? Well, I or think just that, a comic. Uh, my 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 perception of that, and I remember when he took on Tucker Carlson and and mm-hmm. and and um and uh, that, what's his name? Uh, uh, what was Paul McGala. What was Paul McGala? Who's uh, that? That was uh, Clinton's former guy. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Uh, and and, and he he ripped them both to shreds. Yeah. And I thought that well look my my view of that is that John Stewart was a comic first. And I think he'd be the first one to say that. Did he, did he, did he rip Jim Cramer apart? Like he did it with some humor. There was some humor in that interview. As I recall, there was some yeah. mocking of, of him and, and showing the way Jim Cramer's that, that, um, that like animated Jim Cramer style yeah. that he was. So I think he's a comic first. It doesn't mean you can't do or make social commentary, I mean, good comics can, George Carlin did it, Richard Pryor did it with race and stuff like that. So, so I don't think it's John Stewart's fault, um, per se. Now I'm defensive of comedians and I loved what John did anyway, just from a comedic standpoint. But what I felt was, okay, he's still a comic. He's the sad part is that no one's talking about some of the issues that he was talking about. Like no one took on cross. He killed crossfire single-handedly. He went on crossfire and humiliated those guys and took on Tucker Carlson and said, what you're doing is hurting people because you're turning every argument into black and white, one side or the other without, without compromise or you never see anyone crossfire going, Oh, it's a good point. You're turning me around on this. That never happened. Right. Not they're, one they're time. Almost, you know, on new shows like that, they're actually not really allowed to do that. Mm-hmm. Like, like, the, I know. like the producer basically says, okay, we got someone who takes this viewpoint. Can you take that viewpoint? Right. And usually, and I'll 
because I know this that scene. Yeah. Usually the pundit will say, "I'll take whatever viewpoint you need me to take yes. to get on the show." But see, <laughs> don't. No, but that's an interesting dynamic because what it is is it it encourages and fosters an environment of conflict, not compromise, right. not of understanding, but only battle, oh, yeah, gladiatorial even, combat. They'll, they'll even whisper in your ear because everybody's wearing something in their ear they'll even whisper in your ear like okay james jump in now and start arguing yeah, yeah. right <laughs> i mean but but see what that does because when you're working in that visual environment of television where thunderdome it's it's a kind of like in the first thing you do when you write a play or you write a screenplay or something the, the first thing they tell you is what's important is the conflict you need conflict in drama. It's right. the basis of storytelling is like an overcoming of something or a fight or a fight or a conflict. It's Joseph Campbell. What there's a conflict. There's some thing inciting incident or conflict, and that's what has to be resolved in any play or thing. So that's what makes television news and those things. It, it it's not a really healthy environment to really foster a sense of community in America. It's it because. To get ratings, you have to have conflict. That's what people want to watch. Well, it, did, it didn't always used to be that way. Like you can argue, I don't know, Walter Cronkite in the '60s, early yes. '70s, because there was only three networks. Yes, they had a kind of monopoly on uh, uh, attention. But they also weren't. I don't think that at that time they were profit driven. They were a public service. They were like a public utility to report the news. They weren't owned by corporations selling then the advertising that 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 is now needed. That's why they fired. Although, although I think I mean I think they were like NBC, ABC, and CBS. I, but, I, that's an interesting question. Like like was was Walter Cronkite competing against Dan Rather, and did they change his hairstyle like they do with with like you know what I mean? Like Christine Kraft was a was a female um, anchor person who was fired because they didn't like her look because people didn't like how she looked on television and well, then she sued. You I, know, so I, I think because because the world has become ghettoized in terms of opinion and it wasn't that way necessarily in the 70s mm -hmm. now things like that have become much more important so yes. you, you, i mean you just like me you know broadcast tv numbers in general have gone straight down yeah. every single year so they have to do something like you know have this certain look or have yeah. this the opinion yes. like if someone if someone hosted a show on on fox news mm -hmm. with opinion the exact opposite of all their viewership they'd have to be fired because they're not making any money for the right or, or, but but what that does is it 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 offers the perception that you're getting news when really right. it's not so, at so, all. So it's almost like uh, not only are there comedians entertainers, but really all news all now news is entertainers. Well, you've read Neil Postman, Amusing yeah, yeah. Ourselves to Death. Yeah. Well, he nailed but, that. By the way, yeah. from the 90s, it's a book, and exactly. he kind of predicted all he this. He nailed all of this back in 84, right? Yeah. <laughs> so the book's Amusing Yourselves to Death or and Amusing Yourselves to Death, and it's all about how this very topic. He says, he says in that book that any, that why is there a theme song on a news program? And you don't think about things like that, but when you go, dun, 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 and he says, the and, and then why is there a cast of characters? And the sports guy is always a regular dude who you can relate to. And it's like, because it's not entertain it's not news it's an entertainment show yeah. and they're packaging it as such so you get the camaraderie between the the anchor woman and the anchor guy who are doing let's like a mom and dad and then you got the the, the sports guy and then the weather guy's kind of goofy or something like that so 
and the and the and it has a new news program with a theme song. I never really thought of it until he said that, but I thought that's a brilliant insight. When you have anything with a theme song is not a news program, like because because dun, 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 right. it's trying to get or your attention. Sixty minutes with the tick 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 tick, you know, beginning. Yeah, the, yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. Almost to make you afraid of what's about to come next. Right, right. But but so so the question is like, obviously the seeds were being planted. 20, 30, 40 years ago, have, has it just become worse and worse? Or do you think like the election of Trump has put us over the edge? Uh, well, cause I feel like even let's take the 2012 election, right. Mm -hmm. You know, which is the one obviously before the 2016 Trump election, it was Obama versus Romney. And I felt like, yes, Democrats, of course, like Barack Republicans, like Romney, mm -hmm. but it wasn't like this violent clash yeah. of people. Like you know, it was, it was a debate of ideas, right? You know, if hypothetically Romney had won, we probably wouldn't be seeing all the, the same equivalent anger, you know, Maybe, uh, yeah. and, but now with this election, somehow or other it divided the country in half. Maybe it was already in half, but, but it, it, it seemed now to really go over the edge. So suddenly then everybody, and this, this might have good intentions, but every marginalized voice suddenly felt empowered because they got scared. If we don't speak now, right. we're never going to speak because Trump, you know, basically one side thought Trump was Hitler. The right. other side thought Trump was their savior. Of course, both sides are wrong. There's, right. you know, it's still the same debate of issues as always. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, regardless of what side you, you strongly believe, but somehow it became demonized either side. That's, I mean, the, so the, yeah, that's a good, the question is, when did this start? Was it brewing underneath the surface all this time and no one really knew, no, noticed it or whatever? I mean, because I think it's fascinating people go, well, you know, America is this racist country. I go, I go, but we, the country's the same as the country that elected Barack Obama twice. I mean, I mean, no one wants to hear that when I say that, but I, I go, I go, we elected Barack Obama twice, you know, like we're, it, are you saying that the, we're a completely different country from the, the people voted like, cause I remember people saying they'll never, we'll never elect a black person. America's not ready for that. You know, we're just not ready for that. And then we did it twice. Mm -hmm. And I, that's significant. I know that there's racism in America. I always say one of the things, the reason we have a lot of racism in America, not just, it's, it, 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 people go, well, America's a racist country. Well, we also have a lot of races in America. <laughs> like it's a joke of mine is like, we have lots of races. So that's one of the requirements of being a racist country is one of the good things about America. We have a lot of races. So that's where racism comes from. You need races to be racist. Like there's no, there's no, there's liberty. No one talks about, oh, there's so much racism in China. You know, like, like there's going, there's nobody to be racist against. Like, like, because it's a, a, a very homogenous thing. One of the beautiful things about America is that we're so racist because we have so many races in America mm -hmm. trying to get along, struggling with that same American experiment. So there's something about that that is a that's actually a beautiful thing that nobody really like talks about. But yes, there are systemic and endemic problems with this country in in that arena. But I, I also think that we tend to because we watch the news and get into this balkanized idea of like everyone's fighting, everyone hates each other, every and the internet has just totally exploded that. And I think yeah. that that bubbling under the surface where everyone is allowed to live in these silos of thought and also just fight because because I'm just amazed when I see on Facebook it's just people they don't even believe what they're saying it's like it's just being able to be a video game avatar or or um, they don't even know like nobody right. I find with most issues issues are subtle and complex mm -hmm. like when when they 
when they really affect all of society. Like they're, they're, they're usually, if, 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 if something was black and white, it would be kind of solved pretty easily. Right. So, so, so like take for instance, what caused the financial crisis? Yeah. There's, there's many, many reasons. And, and maybe the most important reasons are very unobvious to the average person. Right. We just don't know. This and, is an area that you know more about. Than right. I. So I might know more, yeah. but I still might not know all the answers just like nobody does. Yeah. So, so, uh, but now suddenly issues have become, people think they're not so nuanced. And of course this one is correct. And this one is correct. Yeah, that's and amazing correct. to me. And, and, and me, and the news I think encourages that because, and, and, and the kind of extremes of each side encourages that it's sort of like, because 1% or half of 1% of society now has peanut allergies. There's no peanut served right. in hundred percent of I know, it's school amazing. cafeterias. Like, and, and, and you'll see this dynamic played out in the media all the time where, you know, uh, the, some say I call it, some say this, and you'll see a headline where it says, it's like, uh, you know, what's the superhero movie, a captain Marvel came out, but some people don't like, you know, don't like to see a female superhero. And then, and then you, that's the headline you go, some are angry about it. And I'm like, Who's that? I don't know yeah, anyone that sum. gives. I have so. Who has this much free time that they care about Captain Marvel that they're angry about it? Like so, then you go online, you read the story, and it's a guy with twenty three Twitter followers, right? That the media is creating this story of like, and you'll see Nazis are rallying there, and then you turn it on, it's there's eight guys at the rally, like like like. And right. There's this weird dynamic to conflate any because it. It, you click on it. You go, oh, someone's angry. I want to see who's angry. And it's like, no one is. There's 12 guys. Because someone can print something on Twitter and say, I don't like Captain Marvel. Who cares what this guy thinks? That was, that's the difference is that now everyone has a bullhorn like to be able to express their opinion. Before, you would have to write into the New York Times editorial section or like write a letter yeah. to get your ideas in print. Now, this intoxicating, alluring power to have your thoughts be broadcast and the same dynamic as the New York Times and the same venue. The internet is like this billboard where my thoughts have the same weight on a movie as Roger Ebert or some elite thinker or or my thoughts can be like Steve Bannon's, you know, like uh, just like out there in the th in the thought world of like, uh, oh, this I, I have the same thoughts as this guy, this political I, David Brooks writes for the time. But my stuff is up on Twitter like it's like uh, so it's it, it's fascinating to me that everyone thinks their opinion matters or uh, even the media goes well, some say this. It's like some don't say that at all. Like eight guys say that. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's uh, you know, you mentioned uh, people commenting about movies like Roger Ebert. Like people will come like after uh, Black Panther for some reason. Then you know the movie Black Panther, which yeah. was a huge hit. Yeah, huge hit. You know, decent superhero movie. It was yeah, kind of had the movie. same plot of every other superhero movie. Yeah, yeah, sure. But uh, people come up to me, and I wouldn't even say anything, and people are like. Oh, this proves like a mostly, uh, you know, a black cast can can be a hit. Right. And I'd be like, oh, what about coming to America? I know, <laughs> I know. And like, like did everybody blanking out? Like yeah. <laughs> or or every single Tyler Perry movie. So, I know. I I it, isn't that amazing? Like, what? When did did you guys miss a meeting or something? And, and like, then they would get. But then, but the whole thing is they would get. They were previously even before I even say anything angry. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's like suddenly like. I don't know, anything that enforces people's belief that they're right about something, instead of making them feel good, it just makes them feel angrier. Yes, yeah, it's for whatever reason, it just sends people off. Am I yelling?
Like, <laughs> he, he adjusts everything. He, he adjusts everything. No, that's that's true. And with the with the internet and people, like, what was the new one? Oh, on Game of Thrones. Oh, I I haven't watched Game of Thrones. At okay, all. well, there was Zero. just the same thing. Same people angry. I read this and I go, oh, here's another some say story. Uh, so there's a, some say that the plot twists of the Game of Thrones aren't happy about it because it's unrealistic. And I and I once again, I, you do a deep dive into the data of like who the some say is. And it's a guy in, in Portland and a guy in Iowa and like two other people. And then it becomes some don't like it. And then they use these quotes from a guy right. in, who has eight t- Twitter followers. There's no one. No one thought that. It's, it's, it's just a, <laughs> it's like it's like the onion. It's like the onion has come true. So the onion is known for their satirical. funny articles. Yeah, yeah, satirical articles that always start with like, you know, area man. Yes. Uh, didn't yeah. think Black Panther was so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One guy. <laughs> yeah. It, and now that becomes an actual story right. because it gets clicks. And in the media universe, advertising dollar, this is what, um, what's his, that's, that's what one of the great points of Neil Postman said this is like, because these are, and Noam Chomsky said this too, like that, that because it's media, because it's profit driven, it's immediately corrupted. Like you can't really have, it's corrupted by nature because, because you're out, you're not really reporting the news out of the context of having to get that to survive. You need eyeballs. So yeah. by that alone, it forces you to make compromises and and hire people and to present a viewpoint. And if your ratings drop, you could be doing the best news, the most investigative reporting, like um, you know, the McNeil Lair report or something, where they didn't have a theme song and it was very quiet. But nobody it wasn't the highest rated. It was on well, PBS. Yeah, but, it was on PBS, know. which yeah. is not profit driven. Exactly. So, you know, so so but but you know, again, I think news has always been, you know, except for PBS, news has always been profit driven. But mm-hmm. now again, it's it's maybe it's the kind of empowerment of uh, social media. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to be called social networks. Yeah. That because we would make friends with each other and message each yeah. other and communicate. Yeah, but then right. now it's become <laughs> we everybody's kind of reached their limit of who they're gonna become friends with. So now it's just these, like you but say, you these bullhorns. I never understood I, me and my friend Mike was uh, Mike was an entrepreneur. My friend Mike is an entrepreneur. He's a big fan of yours, and he was a—he was like an internet guy in the early days. I, w- I came home from—he was my roommate, and I came home in the in the '90s or something, and I was going, "What are you doing?" And he's—he goes, "I'm registering domain names, mm-hmm. right?" And I go, "What? What's?" The- I didn't even know what that what like back then. Like he, he was raising curtains.com and all these names, and probably he, did well. He made really a lot of money. Then he mm-hmm. ended up selling it for like th- tons of money. He was ahead of the curve and that stuff. But we used to argue because he would say, oh, the Internet's going to solve the problems because it's going to do this. And it's going to go. And I used I was so not that guy, like in terms of like ever believing in technology, like being able to solve human problems. If we blow up the world, it's not because, you know, the the world needs human solutions to human problems. You can't solve it with a microchip or a better web network. You know, people still now you see, oh, Sri Lanka, there are civil wars thanks to Facebook or whatever, like Facebook, uh, Myanmar or whatever it is. I can't remember, but. But uh, there's some play. Does anybody know the story? There, there's a civil war yeah, and the Rohingyas. What? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Gotcha. Yeah. And so technology is going to give us this. Technology gave us the H bomb too. You know what I mean? Like if we destroy ourselves, technology is going to have a big hand in that. Technology doesn't solve hum- problems of the human heart. You have to have empathy and feelings and evolution and consciousness. You can't just have you know. 
you know, just, oh, a better modem will solve all our, and our ability to connect with our friends. What that does is it actually distances you from your friend in, in a lot of ways, and you don't call them as much because you can just send them a birthday. You don't send them a card. You don't even <laughs> go visit them. And it's like, you don't realize it's always, like Neil Postman said, there's always a trade-off of technology. It giveth and it taketh away something. But we yeah. only emphasize what it gives us and not what it takes away. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I, I lived in over 100 or 200 different Airbnbs over a three-year period, and I loved it. I, loved, I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I, of course, the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests and having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love, you know, turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away. And I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty, who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have uh, daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day that initial, when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldercher, would you like to apply to be VP of en entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. 
ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use him for now. Not that you need it. You're you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the Hims app track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash James. Could you imagine that? There's a whole section just with my name on it, hymns.com slash James. That's how I, how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's hims.com slash James for your personalized treatment options, hymns.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. When I first got on Facebook, I was so excited because you're right. I don't, maybe I wouldn't call my friends as much. But all but, of a sudden, uh, my friends from kindergarten, who I never exactly. would have spoke to again, oh, I could see, you know, little Davey yeah. has kids and soccer yeah. matches. But, and But see, that not that the intoxicating, illusory, ephemeral, mystical allure of Facebook? It gives you this other thing that makes it appear that it is a tool for connection, but it but it also disconnects you from the motivation to really reach out for human connection that might've been there if that wasn't there. Like, like I think Freud wrote about this in, in where he said that what's the point of having a phone if, if like I might not go visit people now, like that I might've visited in order to speak to them. If I, if we have a, now, now we have a phone and we don't have to, you know? I mean, my, my experience with this is that like sometimes I've done things or had, or I'm part of things that some people have gotten very angry at me, whether rationally Mm -hmm. or irrationally. And then when they're on Twitter or Facebook, they could say the most outrageous, (laughs) even threatening things. Like I'm gonna, if I see that guy, I'm gonna kill him or whatever. And so if I just, but in this case, if I just pick up the phone, so if I kind of completely different, you know, if I say, Hey, why did we know each other? Why did you say that? And can I, you know, uh, you know, you made me a death. You made a death threat towards me, and we're yes. we've been friends for twenty years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then <laughs> they calm down, and I, then they even like tweet later or Facebook later, like, "Oh, I spoke to James. It's very reasonable, right. actually." But like, yes, you need 
it's sort of like each level of technology kind of distances further. Another thing. Yeah, it and the consequences of what you say. And you don't have, Lou, you and I are talking. Like, you mm -hmm. could have anybody in this chair, James. Mm -hmm. You're pretty, you know, you're easy to talk to and you love talking to people and you love interviewing people. So you could have anybody in this chair and the interaction would be completely different from like what it would be online where someone takes on, it's almost like a video game where they take on an evil avatar and they just want to, they spew their right. id, their repressed rage at someone from their childhood pain that they want to just take out on someone else. And everyone's everyone's like working out their own childhood issues in this illusory video game world, this, this like avatar world where people just taking out, spewing and yelling at each other so, without even having that human connection, which you're talking about. Right. So we agree. I mean, I think everybody agrees that's, bad mm -hmm. and yet what's the solution i feel there's a, a personal solution which is okay i'm just going to withdraw a little from yeah like for instance i never go on my facebook news feed i don't go on the twitter right. feed sometimes i'll post stuff because i like to write articles and i'll post it on facebook but i don't actually ever go on the feed right. and uh that and, and i never listen to tv news just yeah. because if you read books you're going to know more yeah, yeah, than yeah. if you spend the same amount of time right. listening to news. Yeah. So, so that's a personal solution. But what do you think? Is is there a societal solution or is it just going to get worse? It's just a weird. I, I think the only thing you can ask for, nobody's a Luddite. Nobody's telling people like, oh, get rid of your mo. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think that's the answer. It's not going to, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. Even Neil Postman said that. You're not, people are not going to throw their TVs out even back then. They, but what you can be aware of, and I think that the, the best you can hope for the best you can hope for is like to just be cognizant that this tool is not neutral. It doesn't, it, 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 it but this was, uh, once again, it's Postman's great thing. I love this because he said technology is not neutral. People say, oh, it's just a tool. You can use it for good or evil. And he goes, no. And that was his big point he tried to make. And I'm not even sure even if I totally agree with him or what your thoughts are, but he said, no, technology is not neutral. It's not neutral. It's not 50, 50. It's technology has biases that encourage a certain kind of behavior and a certain kind of human use and discourage others. Yes, you can use a machine gun to punch holes in your wall, okay? okay, okay but that's give me, not its usage. So so, uh -huh. so let's look at some uh, a post-postman technology that seems neutral. Like, yeah. you, you pick, and I'll, I'll try to see what the bad side is. Yeah. Like, like what's a, what's a, to so machine guns, you can see an obvious disadvantage and maybe people can argue an advantage right. in a war or whatever. Yeah. But, but what's something that's, seems totally one could just, argue just like a tool well you, well if you look at like what is what is twitter right like like i mean i mean twitter is not necessary for our society it doesn't really we we could all live without twitter but it's this thing and it becomes what is twitter usually used for um yes it can it can amplify news events okay but it also can be used for conspiracy theories, spreading crap, uh, uh, attacking people, like all this thing. What is it, what is, where does the human uh, psyche take a tool and what is its default uh, drive to use it for? I, I don't know the answer to this. I'm simply well, saying, but, you know, but that, that's a that, that's a good question. So let's say when Twitter first started, um, I think the, the- Or Facebook. But, but, but Twitter's a good example. I think the, the Im impetus was, Jack Dorsey, who was a programmer working mm -hmm. for the company that eventually became Twitter. You know, the original company for Twitter was, I think it was started in the, the mid OOs by this guy, Ev Williams. Mm -hmm. And the original company, and now I'm forgetting the name of it, mm -hmm. but oh, Odeo, yeah. It was, it was to create software that was a podcasting platform. Right. And then this one 
programmer off to the side named Jack Dorsey, who was just an employee of the, of the right. company. He wanted to make a way to send messages to his entire group of friends rather yeah, than just one yeah. friend at a time. Yeah. So he created Twitter because yeah. it, 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 it was, he, he kept it to the size of an SMS message, like a phone text. Yeah. And, and it was a way to broadcast instead of one at a time, SMSing your friends on the phone. Yeah. And then, so that was the, the good. And I always feel like with good intentions, people, um, forget that, like you say, nothing's neutral. There's, there's, there's going to be bad and bad yeah. things that could happen with good intentions. Yeah. Good things can come of like you, Twitter can be used for something like that, but what does the human brain take technology and what is its biased position to, to use it for? It can be used for good. Like we say, Facebook can be used for good, but now you see like this weird outpouring of, of just vitriol venom and stuff like that. And does that mean that that's the default? For face for Facebook technology, and, not necessarily. That's and, not what I'm saying. Yeah. And here's the thing: is I don't even think most of that venom is real. Because I think what happens I don't is think so either, yeah. somebody figures, oh, you know, they're, they're, it's sort of proven that uh, I think it's proven that you know you get a like on a Facebook post or on a Twitter tweet, and you get a tiny, tiny dopamine yeah. hit yes, that makes yes, you yes. happier for yeah. a microsecond. Right. And so you want to get thousands and thousands of likes right, right. so the microseconds last longer and you realize oh if i participate in this venom i'm going to be happier yes because <laughs> lots of people will like me yes yeah and, and um so i don't even think most of the people believe in the venom that's why you can just call them and mm -hmm. remove the like factor yes, yes. and and get past all that but then what happens is is uh let's take political parties as an example is that you can no longer be nuanced and in the center, or maybe you can be slightly left of center or slightly, it used to be Democrats were slightly left of center mm -hmm. and Republicans were slightly right of center. And then there would be, you know, more, you know, extreme Republicans. And then there would be the alt-right and then there would be right. maybe fascists and, you know, liberals, maybe there would be people who were, it would go from slightly left to politically correct, maybe too politically correct to socialist to communism yeah, so yeah. then there's extremes but now if you're not on an extreme like if you're even just slightly left uh of center people will hate you unless you and they'll push you more and more into the extreme yeah, and then yeah. suddenly the group will love will shower you with likes right until right, you right. feel like oh i better stay yeah, in my, that's ghetto. my community yes. yeah that's my community but and, i think that that's the because because of the internet whole conflict model like why do you think in the news they go a woman was eaten by a tiger. We have the video. Like, like, they, they, and it's it's not newsworthy, right? right. Like, nobody cares. Like, like, you don't need to know that a woman was eaten at the San Diego. But we have video, so that leads on the news. Shocking video of a man being beaten. So you get this perception of the world. These things have always happened, but you get this perception of the world shaped by a model of like this Hunger Games kind of arena, which encourages only certain content that's exciting to watch because it's visual and 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 encourages conflict to be the funnel by which everything gets put through that otherwise you don't get eyeballs so it's so you so so you so if you watch the news thank god you don't <laughs> because yeah, you know, I, if you, people tell me like oh did you hear about so and so 
and I'll have no idea what you're talking and, about. And, 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 I hate, and the people also say, well, you don't watch the news. You're disengaging. I go, yeah, or yeah, you're but, not informed. Yeah, oh, yeah, really? Really? I'm not informed. But let me tell you something. Like, like you posting one thing on Facebook is not political engagement. Right. Okay? You, that, this, this is what drives me crazy. This, someone walking out of a comedy club or heckling at a comedy club because somebody says something politically. You know, when, when Martin Luther King, you know, wanted to change, uh, the uh, you know, uh, society, he didn't go to yuck yucks, you know? <laughs> what I mean? And protest jokes, Wait, is okay? That, is that a vet? Like, did you... No, you, I just... I'm, that's good. <laughs> thank you. I'll write that down. But like, he wasn't protesting at comedy clubs, okay? That they were doing... He wasn't... He was trying to alter the power structure and influence economic issues and, and political issues. He wasn't going to, to, you know, this guy said this at this comedy club. That's what drives me crazy is that has taken the place of political engagement. If you, because that's hard work. It's, it's hard work to change the system and to influence politics. It's, it's much harder to get to uh, Chuck Schumer than it is to heckle Amy Schumer. You know what right. I mean? Like, like that's, that's, that, and nobody, because so people want to trash Amy Schumer because they can't, because what's the use of bothering with Chuck Schumer? You can't get to him. He's insulated. But Amy Schumer's out there. She's at a club. She's online. We can trash her. We can say something. We can say bad things. So it's like this weird. And then it, in a weird way, they succeed because look, Amy Schumer, for better or for worse, whether you agree with her or mm -hmm. not, she was political during the 2016 yeah. election. Yeah. And now she's back. She's doing, oh, I'm, I'm pregnant and this is my yeah, humor, yeah, yeah. which everyone yeah. can relate to. Yeah. So rather than, you know, trying to push whatever her particular edge was, she's just, I shouldn't say just, she's extremely, her last special I really loved and mm -hmm. I thought it was extremely funny. Mm -hmm. um, but they, they depoliticized her. Right, right. Well, I mean, but then you go, well, that's, as an artist... Sometimes you do take roots where you say things and then you get attacked for saying things like, like, why should we listen to this, you know, actor? But then of course the next breath, if somebody on the right, like Clint Eastwood says something or, you know, Ted Nugent, they trumpet them, uh, you know, they'll embrace a celebrity just like anybody else. If they, if they are adhere to that ideology. So, and so with Amy Schumer, you're, you're like, well, she, maybe she wanted to speak politics. So, but if we imbue celebrities with importance, like, 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 like one minute they're important. And then the next minute they're not right. Right wingers will say, you know, you know, these people are just dumb. They're, they don't know anything, you know, like there is no, and then they're angry about some left wing celebrity. Then, then like, Oh, well, if they're so dumb, they don't know anything. So why are you paying attention to them? And why is it when, when some right wing guy says something, then you have them on the show, like James Woods or somebody who's more right wing. They're, they're celebrating his tweets or retweeting them. He's like, well, I thought he was a dumb actor. I did like, like we're all dumb actors. Why is just because he agrees with you now you're retweeting him and thinking like he's courageous because right. he's like, you it, know, it, it's not like, it's not like if some, uh, you know, let's say there's another synagogue shooting or mosque mm -hmm. shooting or whatever. It's not like we're all waiting like, Oh my God, what is, what does James Woods think? Has he, <laughs> has he commented yeah. yet? Yes, like, yes. Has, I'm has, waiting it, for him to weigh in. Call me on, when James Woods is on CNN. Yes, I've got yeah. to hear what he has to say. Yeah. It, it, yeah. So that you know, what you were saying about what you were saying about the, com the comedian, it, you know, the, the Amy Schumer, whatever. I, I really think that there's been this just like weird, um, we can't, we stopped believing in political activism uh, and, and its ability to, and you can say, well, that good, bad, maybe you can't change that. But we started, uh, it seems like 
there's been this shift over, well, the culture, we'll change the culture. We won't be able to change politics or the system. So we'll get the culture to change and we'll influence comedian. And then when you do that, when you do that, that's when bad things start happening in terms of like, for me, in terms of what comedy is, because then you're imbuing comedy with a, an importance and a relevance. I love comedy. I think it does have importance, relevance, but when you're shouldering and using that as a substitute for political engagement, like I'm going to go, you know, we're going to make comedians adhere to a speech code or we're going to stop them from saying that as if, as if that's really the levers of power in America or really at the, at the comedy clubs, so, you know, so like what, what's an example where you made a joke that you felt was a, a mm -hmm. good joke. And of course, for every joke, there's going to be some people who love it. Some people are okay with it. Some people hate, yeah. hate it. Just the nature of even a good joke. Well, but yeah. then with the political, if you throw political correctness on top of it, you know, what, what's a case where you, you, there was not the normal skew of love, hate, but, but well, actually the, there yeah. was hate because of the political side. Well, because uh, like I have a joke about, I love the, I love talking about comedy in my act. Like mm -hmm. I love talking about the dynamics of stand-up. And there was always this thing about comedy is the only art form where, you know, people, nobody wants to sit up front. <laughs> I just love the fact that we're the only art form that has an, you know, kind of negative view of being close to the action. You know, like if you're anywhere else in a rock concert, front row theater, you know, you know, front row, I like got front row seats, but comedy show front row, fuck you. I want something near the back, near the kitchen. Well, okay? well you know, uh, and, and, and I have this joke that I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah, I'm I leading wanna, to this. I just want to, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting, yeah. but so when the comedy store in LA, I was mm -hmm. there a few weeks ago and they force where you sit. Like yeah, they yeah, bring yeah. you in six at a time yeah. and you, they start with the front row yes, and, move back. Yes, yes. and you have to actually pay more at that moment mm -hmm. to sit in the back. That's, I know that's awesome. See yeah. that, that's <laughs> so, so that's why, that's why I don't know if you've noticed even here, we changed here immediately, mm -hmm. uh, to, uh to, have, to have the, um, not exactly that because uh, we don't have enough people to kind of, yeah. they have like six bodyguards standing around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we changed the seating. So it's not, tables uh yeah. as much as like rows yeah, yeah, yeah so now people are like naturally inclined to sit towards yeah you know they can't sit too far away from the stage whether they're in the first row or the right, second row right well no i so i have this joke that i wrote because i wanted to talk about that dynamic and so i said uh i said everyone everywhere in life you want to be up front except the comedy show comedy club is the only place even rosa parks didn't want to sit up front at okay <laughs> all right that, that that was that was my joke that i wrote like because i thought that was really funny like okay, so, let's, so let's break it down so that's yes so so um, what makes that funny is because you're conflating <laughs> or, or deflating an enormously, um, important, important yes. historical, political, yes. you know, and, and political racial, you know, civil rights yes. event, uh, uh, to something as meaninglessness as, <laughs> as, as, as the, oh, make her sit in the front yeah, row yeah. of a comedy <laughs> store. So that's yes. kind of the humor of it yes. is that the two events are not anywhere alike anywhere and you're making alike. it seem like they're exactly like, yes, so there's, yes. There, there's this, there's a spread between reality and, and, and yeah, meaning. And I love that taking comedy and imbuing it with this sense of transcendent importance and vital cultural significance when it doesn't have that at all is one of the things I like to think about comedy clubs as having this gravitas that it actually really doesn't have, you so, know, so, like, so on the surface with us talking about it here, yeah. you could see that sure. Someone could be upset for this, for that very reason we just said it was yeah. funny. Someone could be said, well, you're taking something really important yes. and why are you taking Rosa Parks? I know. And, and removing, you know, she was really important for civil rights. Like right. that, and I just doesn't care about a comedy club, but you know, 
then and then here we can just rationally say, well, that person who says that just obviously doesn't have a sense of humor. That's not that's yeah. obviously not what you were doing. You really yeah. don't think Ro- Rosa Parks should, should sit in the front row everywhere what, she goes. But the, like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the point is that the joke itself, if you exact it, when you hear it, the, usually there's a, either a bit, there's often a big laugh, but a kind of a gasp, like because they don't quite grant process the joke right away it, it takes a moment to really get it like rosa parks didn't even want to sit up front and then you'll feel it oh you know you'll hear this thing and the joke is about seating arrangements it's not has nothing to do with race have really you, so i've seen you give this joke yeah. have you uh i i don't recall a re- I think it was at that notorious uh, uh, <laughs> w- one event we both went to where I was MC and you were comedian oh, yeah. and the crowd was just like falling asleep oh for everybody yeah. for the whole. Horrible. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, it was Jonestown. Uh, yeah. It was Jonestown at that gig. Hey, people died at Jonestown. I, I hate Jonestown. No, 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 no. The people died on stage at that gig. There was a That's congressman died. There was Jones- more death at that gig than at Jonestown, let me tell you. And it was us, the right, comedians. Right, right, we, right. We died at that gig. <laughs> it was much more tragic. Jonestown was a lark compared <laughs> right. to that gig. Right. So, so what's what's the worst reaction you've had to that? Well, the funny part about that joke is that black uh, black people love that laugh all the time at that joke because they they feel you can tell where the energy is coming from in a joke like that, and that's another thing that's when you take words out of context and you take words out of energy, and you and I talking and you sitting with someone on the phone, there's an energy, there's a love, there's a there's an affection, there's a connection, there's something there, there's empathy, there's compassion, there's an actual human connection. When you see words on a page that has none of that, so so Facebook or Twitter, you just see these words. And so you don't hear the inflection. I mean, there's, it, it amazes me that people take jokes out of context and print them. And then you see them and you go, ooh, that seems a little weird. Like, and yeah, it might seem weird. But if you see the person, you go, oh, I get it. That's different because you feel what they're saying. And so when you bloodlessly drain all of that out and reduce it to words on a page, it oftentimes does not have the impact or shifts it completely. So when I do that joke, I... You, you, in, and in comedy, almost universally, that joke usually gets a big laugh. So, so, but there, I'll do it at seller sometimes, and they'll be like, ah, and then I, of course, have to do the, you know, do a seminar with a white, you know, board where I then instruct the crowd. Okay, folks, you know, if, but then I, I do a, a tag if, if I say, if, um, what do I say? If, if, if Rosa Parks had been in a comedy club instead of a bus, the civil rights movement would have never happened, right? Like, like Miss Parks, would you like a seat right near the stage? No, I'm good back here, right? Like, like <laughs> so it's an act out. So, so there's this funny. The idea of that is just completely absurd, and it just elevates this idea that here's in a comedy club putting, you know, the front row, and I took this one scenario and so and made it, you know, into something that's just conflating something that's so important. But white people go, oh, is that okay to laugh at? I don't know. Do I want, am I racist if I laugh? They don't, they're doing calculations like Rain Man in their head of trying to figure out if something is okay to laugh at because they're hearing, the, they just hear Rosa Parks and they're just suddenly like, right. they're scrambled, their brains are scrambled. So right? let's, 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 I hate to use the words, give them the benefit of the doubt for yeah. a second, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt. They're scared, right? Yeah. So yeah. they're scared of not somehow, you know, obviously we're, we're, we've all been massively affected lately mm-hmm. by the co- the cognitive bias, which is this primal way humans think and the way humans have survived for tens of thousands of years. We're, we're all uh, persuaded now by groupthink. Yeah. So they're afraid if they laugh, then 
they'll be kicked out of the group, yes. which has been for evolutionary reasons a very bad thing. Yes. They'll be yes. eaten by wolves then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh and so cortisol spikes in their brain if yeah. they're worried about getting kicked out of the tribe. Right. right. And uh uh so I wonder now, because of this ghettoizing of opinion and and that moving to the extremes, mm -hmm. and obviously your joke is first off, it's it's politically meaningless, really. It's just sure. a funny joke. And it's uh, but even if it was somehow in the center questioning, you know, some places you should sit up front, some places you should be allowed to sit up front. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, so, right. so, uh, uh, but they're afraid, uh, there's nothing they can do about it. They're afraid. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I, so then I say to the crowd, by the way, that is a seating arrangement joke. That is a, a logistics joke. That's a joke about logistics. There is no real true racial component to it, but then I'll act out the white guy going, Oh, should we laugh at that? Is that, uh, that's insensitive because she's an, a cultural icon and very important in the, in the sense. So I, as funny as I find that joke, I think I'm just not going to weigh in on it because I don't want to be excised from my group and kicked out. So I'm just not going to stop it. People just, calm down okay because of all the jokes you'll see that are racial that's one of the most genial least you know egregious it doesn't make any real comment on anything but that's how powerful that dynamic is that we're talking about where people are taken aback and going oh maybe i shouldn't laugh at that but i'm not sure even why like <laughs> right right yeah. i'm not sure why because it's a cognitive bias yeah so it's it's uh it's you know daniel Kahneman's book thinking fast and slow which identifies all these cognitive biases they can't help it they yeah. can't help uh uh, that they're afraid to laugh. Yes, and it's maybe a recent thing where the group think has has gotten so big on each side that it it, it, it captures everybody now. Right. But so 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 let's say that joke affects one half of the people. Right. And then you kind of have a part two, which is like <laughs> you know, oh boy, I didn't realize a joke about <laughs> where the seats are would be so politically. Yeah, I know. You know this is crazy. You know, I know it's great, it, but but that's my point. But, but, like, but then you'll get to laugh because then you relieve the tension. Yes, they wanted to laugh before, out. but now they're allowed to laugh. Yes, yes. So 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 it's almost like now you have for any kind of sensitive joke, you have to have a part two yes. to get the people who didn't laugh the first time. Yeah, and that's an important part of comedy that a lot of comics, like a lot of young comics or whatever, don't don't uh, pro comics. But know but, that but right here, away. here's what I wonder with with comedy as as uh, an art form, mm -hmm. which is that. Uh, and this goes for any art form, really, and, and for any kind of writing. Yeah. So, so you know, writing is is mass produced now. People have an opinion yeah. and they say it, and they don't think to check. Oh, is this opinion unique? Has this been written in a better way right. before? They just think everybody wants to listen to my opinion. Yeah. And uh, with 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 comedy, there's you know, and I see comedians all day and night. You know, down here, downstairs, or at other clubs or whatever, and. There's the kind of comedians where they're just sort of telling their premise punchline and it's really easy. Nobody could disagree. Like, yeah. oh, the weird thing about subways yeah, is, yeah, yeah. you know, sure. we get to learn every sure. uh, stench of right. urine possible. Yeah, yeah, and like right. everyone sort of agrees with that and laughs at it. You're yeah. not really putting a question no. to the audience. So we, so I sort of feel, and I wonder if you agree, I, I sort of feel the best comedy is when you put a question to the audience mm -hmm. and, and they respond not necessarily, not necessarily whether it's funny or, or or not funny, but they respond whether they're whether you're hitting a third rail or not. Give me an example of of something you, like in your act, let's say that like like uh, that that addresses that, or do you have something? Yeah, that, yeah, like, like um, uh, uh, you know, I'll have I'll have a joke about Auschwitz. Mm -hmm. So so 
Of I course. Always have, I always have to say I'm, I'm Jewish. <laughs> okay. but, uh, We're going for it now, James. <laughs> no, James, do you have an example? Yes, my Auschwitz bit. Well, like my well, Auschwitz well, chunk. But, right? By the way, just just Because I have a Buchenwald chunk that I'm going to be uh, working on right now, and I want to... Okay, I, okay <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll give <laughs> No, go I'm ahead. Gonna, it's I'm going to even take a worse one. I'm going to even take a worse okay. topic. Okay? <laughs> so, so this one... Uh, I've I've done it a few times, maybe half the times you get laughs, half the times it doesn't, but I'll have an abortion joke. Sure. So abortion is very third rail. Yeah, like you absolutely. really can't talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And um, but it's an interesting thing to note. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, <laughs> that you think? Yeah. A man in an in a, let's say you know, your girlfriend's giving birth versus your girlfriend having an abortion. <laughs> right. <laughs> For a man, the experience in, if you're if you're going to it, if you're in the room, the experience is very similar. You're useless in both cases. Ah, uh, okay. So there's right, doctors yes. running around, there's nurses oh, running around, yes. and and, and yes. every time you want to help, they're just like, get you know, wow. get to the side. Yes, you know, you're yes, not yes. you're supposed to be there, yes. but you're actually so totally so useless. completely useless. Oh, damn. And, and so, <laughs> and so my my yes. my kind of point there is that. Um, you know, there's 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 nuance in yeah. uh, you know, I'm very pro-choice. Yeah. And but there's there's nuance in some of these issues and it's well, okay how does to that talk about bit it. Do? Like like uh, what's your percentage on that piece? If if I it, a lot of it depends on performance, mm -hmm. as most sure. com, stand-up comedy jokes. So if I just say it, it it's probably it, it it sounds weird, but if you perform it like in a very clueless manner, like yeah. what am I supposed to do? Right. You know, and I'm just like, uh, you know, it just depends how you're, 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 yeah, what you yeah, do on yeah, stage yeah, and, yeah. and so on. Like, uh, and if you act like really self entitled, like, sure. you, you know, I say, I used to be the mayor of this entire situation here. Right, like, right. I created this. Right, right, right. And now, um, and now I'm the there. lowest surf yeah. in this situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, um, uh, and again, it depends on how I'm acting it out. Sure. But, but the less, extra I put into it, the worse it does. <laughs> so you have to quali throw in lots of qualifiers is right. what you're saying. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it's not, I'm not saying this is like politically edgy, but it, the, the edge is really that, Hey, I'm pro-choice. I'm allowed to be pro-choice. Right. Uh, but I'm allowed to think about choice in a slightly different way sure. than women think about it. Cause yeah, I think yeah, there yeah. are nuances to the issue. Right. For right, instance, right. in both, in, in, and I've seen this happen in other contexts. Like on the re reason, the, the evolution of this joke is I wrote uh, uh, an article where I was pro-choice, all you know, very firmly pro-choice. Mm -hmm. But there are nuances that often extreme um, views on this don't agree. For instance, yeah. some women go through pain during an abortion, mm -hmm. or some women experience um, like a post-traumatic stress after an abortion. Yeah, yeah. And here I am. Um, 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 you know, as probably as liberal as you could be on yeah. this topic. Right. And I had, you know, on Facebook, on the article, mm -hmm. I had very angry, also very pro-choice people, mm -hmm. you know, yelling angry at me. You. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. And I'm like, I'm on, don't worry, we're on the same team on right, this. Right, right, right. And right. they're like, but no deviation I, I from had orthodoxy. three abortions and it didn't hurt at oh, all. Oh, and, <laughs> and, and people wow. were like very upset. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that could happen on the, the right. stand-up thing as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So no, that, no, I just wanted to know because as someone who watches, I know that when you wade into those those areas like that, and especially something like that, you can feel the chill in the room. Like you, you're going to get some people, you're going to, you're, and other people want to know where you're going with that, you know, and and are anticipating if you're going to take that on like that. That's a 
if you break that joke down, once again, if you put a schematic of that joke on a wall and like break it down, that's really about male utility, you know, like, right. <laughs> right. And, and the fact and, that men think they, they always need to be the most important person in yes, the room. Exactly. And here suddenly they're by far the yeah. least powerful person uh, yeah, in the room. Completely <laughs> useless and commander. So that, and it's equal for both situations. Right. Right. So that, that's one of those jokes where once again, the discomfort, you know, either adds to the 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 um, the power of the of the bit itself, but also you know you're going to lose some people because they don't know how to process. Are they? Because that, that's not a race. That's an interesting thing because just abortion. Just you hear that word and immediately it just conjures up. Are you allowed to joke about that? Right. So you so know? women are mm-hmm. right. Women could joke about it all day long. Like we brought up Amy Schumer. Mm-hmm. Um, she has a joke from 2007 oh, yeah. where um, um, she. She was turning 30 mm-hmm. and she suddenly realized that all her friends were adulting. They're getting more adults. Yeah, yeah. And they call her and say, Oh, Amy, I'm pregnant. And 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 she'll react like, What? What? Do you need someone to drive you to the <laughs> clinic? And right. and they're like, No, no, I'm right. married and <laughs> right. yeah, 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 I'm having funny. a baby. No, that's funny. So but so so women are allowed to joke about it, but if like you reacted when I even said the word like Auschwitz or abortion, right. like men can't say certain things. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a reticence in which I think is really unfortunate because I think everybody should be able to joke about everything. But uh, you know, and I don't think and I always don't like that whole idea of like, oh, you're like the idea that one you can't joke about this because you're either a man or you can only joke about this because you're a woman or you cannot joke about this because you're white. Or you have an opinion. Understand. Or you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I don't, I don't really get that at all. Because you're still a human being, and that's what comedy is supposed to be for: is to be stripping away to the basic underpinnings of our shared humanity. That's what it's supposed to be about. So I never understand why these surface uh, differences ever should imbue or or in any way, share, perform, balkanize anyone's ability to talk about anything. It depends on the joke. Once again, you, I, I have a real. I I think everybody should be able to talk about anything, but I, like I said, I really hate when comics use that idea as a shield to get away with shitty writing or right. shitty jokes right. or so, bad, you know. So so like, but I think I think though to your point, like the you do like I do have to question like, is there a better way I could write this or say this or perform this? Um, like I was watching, you you know, Andrew Schultz. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, you know, yeah, sure. Um, uh, he has he 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 has an interesting way, I think, of sometimes flipping the issue so at first it seems like he's totally misogynistic sexist yeah and andrew's really it. good at this yeah. yeah and so there's one joke he has where i could see he's getting half the audience but then he has a clever way winning the other half yeah which is that um and i'll just yeah. say it i'm not doing his thing sure. but um he basically starts off saying um he finds you know sex with women having their period um <laughs> gross right right, right <laughs> and right, you know right. the funny part is the way he says it like yeah, yeah. he pauses and say it, 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 it's gross you know yeah, blood's yeah. coming out of sure, you sure. but then he and so you're kind of like you could see how some of the audience can yeah, be yeah. like oh what's oh where's going he going here? with this some yeah. people are laughing yeah. and he performs it very well yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, but then he has this really clever way he said listen if blood was coming out of my dick right i'm not going to work either yeah yeah, yeah, like, yeah. that's funny yeah. it's funny yeah. like yeah. how he puts himself in yeah a that's a great that see that right there you see that's the beauty and magic of comedy because it forces you to see something in a different way that women wouldn't think about that and suddenly go what i want to have a, 
sex with a guy once burning on a mistake. Like when I go, oh yeah, break me off a piece of that, you know, give yeah. me some of that. They might go, ew. And then women will go, oh, that's a really good point right there. You know, like, like, like they never really thought of it that way. And there's nothing and that. Andrew's really good at that. Cause he, he has these like really sneaky kind of clever ways of right. like, you know. So, so I'm wondering if, you know, and again, I see, let's say, you know, you, uh, of course there's many types of comedy, but I'll divide it into two. Mm. There's the kind where, okay, there's premise punchline. Yeah. It's funny. You know, here's the thing about subways. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, but it doesn't, it doesn't put what I call, put the question to the audience. It mm -hmm. doesn't make the right. audience, it doesn't challenge the audience. Yeah. And then, and then there's the side where like the Rosa Parks joke or mm -hmm. Andrew's joke. I'm not even going to include my joke in the right. category. And, uh, where you, you kind of put the question to the audience a little yeah. bit and you put them on, on edge. And then you have to kind of yeah. figure out the puzzle. Well, yeah, I, I, I have a, I have a bit where I talk about a guy with true story. A guy was on the train and, uh, he gets on the train and he goes, uh, he's a beggar on the subway. And I just go, I had a skeptical panhandler and the guy gets on the train. And he's like, Oh, Oh, nobody got a dollar. I mean, nobody got one moving dollar, man. Like, 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 and I do this character because that's exactly what happened. I, ne I laughed so hard when the guy got on the train because he's usually guys are like, hey, can somebody help me out? This guy was like, oh, come on, people. Nobody got a dollar. So I do the bit. It gets this like huge. I thought that's an interesting approach to question the honesty of your target audience. You know, like, like, like you know, I want to give that guy a dollar just for originality. Okay. So it's just a little bit. It's a little bit of an act out. But then someone came up to me, another comedian go, why'd you make him a black guy? Right. Ah, <laughs> okay. Funny. Which was really like a guy, he, the true story. A, com a comedian goes, why'd you make that a black guy? Right. And I said, I said, I, and then, and then I tell the story on stage, which is absolutely true. Like word for word, like, like where I go, you know, well, I didn't say he was a black guy. Right. Which is true. I didn't, I don't say the hill guy's race. I didn't go, a black guy got on a train. I just go, I go, a guy got on a train. He's a skeptical pen. He goes, nobody got a dollar. Nobody got a dollar. He goes, why'd you make him a black guy? I go, I didn't make him a black guy. He goes, well, he's, and the guy goes, well, he sounded like a black guy. And I go, well, you think all black people sound alike? Is that what you're basically saying? That's kind of racist. And he goes, well, was he a black guy? I go, yeah, he was a black guy. Right? I'm not supposed to be penalized because I'm a good voice actor. Right. You know, I'm supposed to recast my own stories and memories just to be politically correct. I'm supposed to give the guy an Irish accent or something. I don't, like, I, I, like, just because I'm a good voice actor, I'm actually doing a dead on impersonation of the guy and I'm supposed to do a worse one to cater to a kind of video I, that makes no sense to so, me so right? that that's where though the the part two i think comes in to get the stragglers the guys like yeah. that who are gonna come to you yeah so louis ck has has this one joke where um uh i forget what accent he was using but he he, he um I, I think he was at a voice of uh, a black guy from the ghetto right but he didn't identify it one way or the other yeah. and then he says um he says, I bet you're all wondering mm -hmm. um, why I sound Chinese. Right. And, uh, <laughs> right, yeah. right, so, right. So that's like his okay, part similar. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so yeah, similar. So it, I say, you know, and I, and I thought, how weird would it be to have the guy be like, hello, everyone. I want to know if anybody got a dollar or if I hit my family. Because I just want to know. You know, like I start acting out the guy, you know. I've gone to a tiff time, you know. Like, like it would make no sense. On a New York subway, right. a Scotsman gets on and starts right. doing it. But that wouldn't uh, get people upset or be racist. And it's like, that's silly. And you shouldn't be. And I just thought it was funny that I can't actually do an accurate 
rendition of the voice of the guy who actually got on the train <laughs> because that's like, you know, stereotypical, but not to me. I was just doing, I just happened to be good at voices. Like a regular guy couldn't do that. I can't right. help it. Right. It's not like, well, I'm talented, you know, like I'm supposed to get heat cause I'm good at that, you know? So that's just another example of like something that sounds like kind of like, oh, that's wrong. But then when you really think about it, you go, oh, that's actually not wrong at all. Like like when you reframe it like Andrew did with that joke, you go, oh, yeah, I, I get it. But you have to like really explain that so that people get uncomfortable because they think, oh, he's doing a stereotype of this guy. It's like, it's like no, I'm not. I'm doing the why actual guy. Why were you just guy. a gay guy? But yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, why didn't you do a gay, like, like... No, no, like, just right now you were, you had a gay... See, why did you just suddenly <laughs> do a gay person? And why are you assuming that gay people, how maybe this is a woman's voice, James? I don't understand why you would be so stereotypically why do you have to put people in silos <laughs> it's that's, just wrong that's a very it's good just, voice yeah thank you <laughs> it's just so sad the way he does the james it's just i don't know he has issues <laughs> anyway moving on just, just get the show over with I, I can't take it anymore i mean really seriously is this is he like this all the time everyone seriously 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 i feel a hostility there's a shift does anyone get the shift here because this is, I came on the show in good, you know what I mean, with a positive attitude, and all of a sudden there's a, a negative bias that I'm experiencing. And no, 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 you go ahead. You just do what's good for you. I don't know, Brian. <laughs> I don't know. I think yeah. you hit that third rail. Yeah, yeah, right there. We're, you were, we're, we eliminate we're you from the podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but I do wonder, though, if actually, like, the art, I, I, let's not say the art form. I wonder yeah. if comedy should always it is an art ask form. the question it is an art yeah form. so so i wonder i wonder if you know i think uh in a lot it of is the most respected and least respected art form <laughs> at the same it, time it, at the same time it is the one art form that comedy actors don't win oscars that's an amazing thing to me like comedic actors almost never universally get you look at eddie murphy said the greatest thing when he was in uh he did he got nominated for dream girls and 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 uh and he there's a moment in dream girls where he's Gonna, he's like suicidal or something and he's gonna overdose on drugs in the, in the thing and he get, does this look of sadness and the camera like sees him and he captures this thing and people talk about that with Eddie Murphy and, and we were interviewing Eddie Murphy about that and he goes and he goes and he goes you're nominated for an Oscar how does I think I go he go well he goes he's like, and he's great he's like he's like People talk about the look, man. They, they, they're like, oh, that look. You just this amazing look, you know. It's so riveting. And you did that. Did you see me in, in, in Nutty Professor when I played 19 different characters? You know, which was, which of those things do you think was more difficult? Like, like, and you go, oh, right. Like, Nutty Professor is masterful genius. Like, he plays 20 different guys. And he got, he got nominated for an Oscar for Dream Girls, right? But not for Nutty Professor, when he plays this heartbreaking character and the brother and the uncle and the mother. Like, he, he's doing it. And which of those is more, shows more acting chops or, skill, uh, or, or right. an acting toolbox or skill set? Because I'll tell you, Jack Nicholson couldn't have done that. You know what I mean? Like, Eddie was, there's no one that could have done what Eddie did. But that doesn't get respected. Like, that doesn't, he wasn't nominated for that. You can hear Sherman Plump getting, you know, nominated for an Oscar for that. So I'm saying that comedy in and of itself as an art form is revered by people at the same time it's felt to be less than, you know, you know, uh, put up on a pedestal as like this level of importance. And, it, and I think it's because everyone thinks they're funny. That's another thing. Every, there's not a single person on the planet that doesn't, that doesn't, that thinks I don't have a good sense of humor.
Like everyone, and even people that like, yeah, it, some people will say that they're not able to be funny, but everyone thinks they have a good sense of humor. No one ever says, well, I don't really have a good sense of humor. I'm just not, that's not my area, but everyone thinks they do. And mo- a lot of people don't. It's just, that's, that's the way it is. So, so there's this universality to this particular thing. Not everyone thinks they can play lead guitar. Not everyone thinks they can sing. Not everyone thinks they can paint. Not everyone thinks they can sculpt. Not everyone thinks they can dance. They can really be a skilled dancer. But co- when it comes to being funny, everyone thinks they, they have knowledge and they can come up. That's why people critique you and come up to you and have a joke for you after the show, which doesn't right. happen. I have a song for you. <laughs> like, right, like a lot of people, you know, uh, and this was more prevalent three or four years ago, but a lot of people will come up to me and say, oh, you should do this. Yeah. You know, they almost have like requests. Yeah. You know, and weird. And, and they've never, you know, cause the other, but the other thing about, uh, let me, let me ask your opinion on this. And this is not really related to the political correctness aspect, but so the other day I was interviewing two people on the same day. One was, uh, and I'm super fans of both of them. Uh, Mike Reese, who, uh, wrote, many episodes of the Simpsons produced mm. is a producer on 659 episodes of the Simpsons. Right. He wrote actually, uh, many of the jokes for Oscars 2019, oh, know, the okay. one Oscars without a host and, uh, and he's a joke writer mm-hmm. and, and he was, he actually even was a joke writer for Johnny Carson in wow. the eighties. Okay. And so from, and I asked him, did you get better? Did you improve? And he's like, no, I always was like a good joke writer. Like, I was right. always really funny and right. I just think in jokes. Right. And then I also interviewed that day Susie Essman, who sure. she was I a stand up comedian for years. Six, yeah. 16 or, years. Sure. And uh, then she was on Curb Your Enthusiasm mm-hmm. as a very funny actress. Yeah. And um, she said it took her 10 years before she finally felt she was coming into her own her on voice, the stage. Yeah. Yeah. And so obviously they're both funny and they both have senses of humor, but there's a difference between stand-up comedy and just being funny yeah. so stand-up comedy like the being funny part is important yeah but it's one part of many like mm-hmm. there's also the stage work there's there's the vo- like you're doing the voices or the act outs yeah. there's crowd work and sensing right how and she even talks about how each crowd's got a different personality so you have to kind of go through your catalog of thousands of crowds totally. that you've experienced and yeah. figure out how to react so so it's for, as a performance art it's mm-hmm it's much more difficult than just having a sense of humor. Yeah, and there's an antagonistic, there's, a, there's an antagonistic um, uh, uh, relationship between co- audience and co- comedian that's different from other art forms. You'll see literally people, guys will bring a girl to the show and not want to laugh at, the, at a comedian and be defiant, like not actually into the show. They'll be on their phones or they, you know, you don't do that in many other art, art forms, but in comedy, there's a sort of, you have to win them over. There's a sort of, even celebrity comics will say that they go on, they'll get a five minute window. That's okay. Cause you're a celebrity, but then you still have to bring the, your a game. You still have to be funny. You still have, the audience is not going to just laugh at anything. Laughter still has to be earned. Right. So you'll see, you'll see people go on and they'll be, you, you know, audiences don't always, um, what you, what you were saying about talking about, about, uh, being funny, what, where we, I, I lost my train of thought completely but being funny versus the performance. Oh yeah. Yeah. And people like, like going up and, and it's, it's, it, there's so many layers. You'll see people that don't have great jokes, but they're great performers, you know, and other people that are both, you know, Brian Regan is like great at everything, like really performing comedy and being like naturally, naturally just funny and goofy and, and, but the bits are so well written. Like they're just so 
artfully written. And it doesn't get the respect, like comedy doesn't get the respect that it deserves. Some comics are funny right out of the gate. Chappelle was hilarious when he was like 15 or 16, like right off, amazing, like right away. Some comics have that kind of just golden, you know, hue around them where they're just, wow, that joke was amazing. I didn't see that coming and that you're relatively, and some people it takes longer to get, yeah, but but like, like like Chappelle though is an interesting example where would you like he does not get let's say he's the best in the world yeah he does not get the same number of laughs per minute mm -hmm. as some other comedians who we both probably know sure. who get so many laughs per minute it's right. like insane right and he maybe gets uh, averages on his specials maybe a laugh every twenty seconds yeah and we've seen people do you know, laughs every four seconds. Yeah. Um, but Dave Chappelle's the the best. So what's so so it's not the humor, it's also that he's when the laughs that come when Dave finally delivers, the laughs are human like the when that hit mm. that bit really lands, when he may set it up in that subtle jazz performer way that he does where he's like he's like doing the thing but when it hits it's just gold like it's usually just bang that's so funny like 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 and he's that's the he uses silence better than most comics like silence is a fear a lot of comedians have fear of silence because they don't want to let the thing linger but he'll let that thing just stretch and the payoff the tension builds and then he'll hit something really so freaking funny that's just great and and and, you know, I just remember, like, when he was young, they had that joke. I can't remember. It was, like, a long time ago he had that joke about, like, if if Batman, you know, was in – if Batman came into a black neighborhood or something. Do you know this joke? No, I, I just, no, I I just remember it. I, just, I don't know why. It always stuck with me because he go, if Bat Batman <laughs> – you never see Batman in a black neighborhood or something. It was just such a funny – because there was this long period of silence where he go, he go, Robin, blah, 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 and he's like uh, – and then there was, like, long pause. And he go, hey – didn't we park the Batmobile right here? <laughs> like, like, and it was just like this long pause. What the? <laughs> like, like, and it was just this really, and it was just like, like this beautiful pause, and he looks around, he acted it out, and then he hit the punchline. And it was just hilarious, because you didn't see it coming, and you didn't, you know, and, and um, he's one of the masters of that, of that, of, of so good at that. Like, just, just really, the, when the laugh finally comes, it's not just, he, he doesn't have boom, boom, boom laughter like some comics do, but he'll have, when the laugh comes, it's just enormous and, sense of relief and insight and, oh God, you got me, you know? Yeah, and then, and then, so I think that, I think that's right. I think also, and I didn't appreciate this a few years ago, but I appreciate it more now watching him over and over again. Mm -hmm. He does, he kind of does an act out on every single word. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. every, if you want, if you listen, if you try to mimic him, mm -hmm. like it's right hard. after, He's he. Yeah. You could tell he's doing something every single word. Yeah. He's 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 in character or something. Yeah, it's great. So he's, he's amazing. Because like, was on his last special, he he suddenly spent ten minutes out of character, mm -hmm. and his voice got deeper, right. and he's like sitting there telling you know the audience what he thinks, and he's he's got an opinion. Let me tell you, guy. Right. You know, and uh uh, and then he goes back into character. He mm -hmm. goes an octave yeah. lower and uh or higher, and uh yeah, boom, yeah, he's yeah. back in yeah. in doing doing his performance. It's yeah, it's it's great. It's great. So, I, 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 he's, he's one of the best, greatest of all time. So, so, so like you came from, uh, like an acting family. Your dad was the voice, the voice of actor, yeah, Frankenberry, dad, yeah. right? Cereal. <laughs> yeah. My dad I used was to voice. see those commercials as a kid. I know. I know. He was, uh, my dad was on the Thundercats. He played uh, snarf on the Thundercats. So he was a voice actor. So I grew up around my father walking around the house doing voices all the time. So that was the way I got into comedy. 
was like listening to him. He would do Paul Lind and Jack Benny and stuff like that. And so I knew how to do voices at an early did age. Did he teach you how to do voices? Or did I didn't, you just... It just you, you hear your dad going, gee, I didn't even know doing bad Jack Benny. Or he would do Paul Lind. And he had these repertoire of voices that were just killer. And he could do it. So I just let, thought that was normal. So you just mimic your dad, you know? So I just, you know, I would do Paul Lind and, you know, <laughs> how, how are you, kids? What's going on? Because um, he used to do voices all the time. Brian, you want some cereal? You know, like, and, uh, and, so, and so I would just start doing, I started doing voices. And so then I found the kids at school, thought that was funny. And I always wanted to be a stand-up. I just loved the art form. I just was like, Richard Pryor was my hero from an early age. And I, I used to just watch him do because he gets no credit either for, for his acting outs that he used to do. Right. But oh my God, if you listen to, if you listen to Richard, this is like the great, like the greatest. Because they're real people. He just act started acting out real people from. If you hear the Dice Game uh, routine, I forget what album now. It's blanking out, but uh, where, where he does the white cop coming in. Now listen, kids, we're now you folks. We just want to help you people. And like he was the first guy. Eddie Murphy talks about. He was the first guy who did white. The, the, the stock white guy talking, uh. which was the high-voiced. Richard was the first guy who came out with the original white voice. Was there, Now, listen up here, guys. You know, we're just guy gumption. We're trying to help you people. And the black guy, Man, fuck you, motherfucker, honky, motherfucker. <laughs> so Richard was like my, my, <coughs> my biggest hero. Can I get some water? So I started doing voices, and my father taught me because he was a stand-up. Oh, he, he was said, a stand-up too. Yeah, but he just did voices and characters. And he told me, just end with a big bit at the end. Like I always have a killer closer and that was like my thing. Like I would always write, I always had like one killer closer that I would write and then I would move on from that and have like a killer closer and then I would do that for like a year or two years and then write a new killer closer. And then, and I would do like all my voices at the end. That's how I started getting work because I did all these voices. I just, back then every comic was doing, you know, Jim from Taxi. Ah, okay, okay. You know, like Pee Wee Herman. Like, like stuff that I look back on now, I go, ah, okay, that was kind of goofy. But I realized if I was going to stay an impressionist, I wouldn't become a good comic because you can, you can get away with just doing voices and 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 just be an impressionist there's nothing wrong with that but eventually you reach that point any impressionist if you watch them they they always have to come up with new weird scenarios why they're doing you know christopher walken or something <laughs> like like a good one good comic a good impression it's just a, that we're going off on a tangent here but i always thought it was funny that if you watch an impressionist they have to give a justification for why they're suddenly doing a Christopher Walken impersonation or an Al Pacino. Wait, I yeah. feel like it has to be like a weird thing. Like, oh, oh I'm going to do an impression of Christopher Walken taking the SATs. Yeah. So some yeah. like thing, two Can things Can you imagine don't match. Christopher Walken, uh, uh, the number of four <laughs> is B or C, you know? And, and so you, but I just didn't like having to come up with weird scenarios why I was doing Nicholson or I think back then I was doing... Dudley Moore or oh, Cray. Oh, fantastic. All right, yeah. And I would have to come up with a new scenario. Oh, I was in the thing. Hey, every drunk sounds like, oh, that's what I did. I did, I did because Arthur, I don't know what year that was, but Arthur was out and, and I was doing, uh, one of my bits was, um, you know, it's hard to pretend you're, come home to your parents' house, you're drunk, you try to pretend you're not drunk in front of your parents. It's hard to pretend you're sober when you sound like Arthur, you know? <laughs> that was my, oh, great, Mom, Dad, you're awake. I thought I was doing great with you. <laughs> Cry, fantastic! All right, yeah. Why are you hitting me? Um, and I think that was like one of my bits that I used to do, which was good because it was sort of personal. 
as well as, but that was always a struggle for me to come up with a new weird scenario for a voice. And you'll see a comic go, you know, who was in the elevator with I was Nicholson was on the, Hey, how you doing there? You know, like, like, it's like, no, he wasn't in the elevator with you. <laughs> you know? So that's why I stopped. I stopped doing like all impressions and I just try to sprinkle them in when they, when they work or when something's, you know, good now or something that occurs to me. But anyway, that's a separate issue. But that's how I got into stand-up, and I started doing voices. And I started getting work because I could do voices. And there was, those, were, those could get you laughs really quickly. You know, you could get laughs. And I always said, if I can combine a voice with a good bit and some good one-line jokes, then, you got, then they may not laugh at the bit, but they'll laugh at the voice. Or the people who won't laugh at the voice will laugh at the bit, or the people that won't laugh at the bit or the voice will laugh at the one line. Right, so you're giving you know? them as many opportunities as possible to yes. laugh or one joke. I said, I said, I'll, I'll have a multi-tiered, bulletproof kind right. of bit. So then, so you just see me do like long bits where I'm one guy doing the the yep. subway guy or something like that because it's a bit that allows me to like get away with doing like um, a, a funny voice in a weird scenario with some really funny lines. And so I, I said, okay, they'll have to laugh at that. Eventually, like one level of those will hook somebody in the audience. For the dumb people, they'll laugh at the goofy voice. For the smart people, they get the jokes. And for both of them, they'll be the bit itself, which is insightful or funny. So, so let me ask you this. So uh, again, it seems like with like, let's say, I'll call it club comedy, like 15 minutes or yeah. less, um, you have to, the audience typically doesn't know the per, like, the comic. Yeah. As opposed to like if when they're going to, you know, see Jerry Seinfeld at the Beacon Theater and they're buying $100 tickets. Yeah. They know what they're going to. Yeah. When they go to a comedy club, there's seven comics on a lineup. Yeah. They don't know you. Yeah. If they don't like you, they'll shut down and wait for the next comic <laughs> right, and so on. Right. It's this annoying yeah. thing. Yeah. And so you kind of have to make your comedy in a weird way super safe mm -hmm. to make sure you survive the 15 minutes and mm -hmm. then they're laughing. So like you, like you said, you made bulletproof bits mm -hmm. yeah. in this way. But so I'm curious if... Now, in today's day and age, and I, I think the most interesting comedy is when you do put the question to the audience mm -hmm. where it's not safe. And yeah. you're, you're kind of extending yourself to be, it's a little dangerous. Like, yeah. you're doing a joke, you know, like that Andrew Schultz one, or like you're a Rosa yeah, yeah. Parks one. You're doing a joke where some people might say, what is he doing? And they're going to, you're putting the question to them, should I be yeah, offended I mean, by this or not? Yeah, like I did, I, I'm doing a joke now, which is like kind of edgy, and it's it's like... Where I say, uh, you know, it's not a good time to be a guy right now. You know, guys are not the most popular demographic group. Like I said, I check in with the guys and I go, I go, how are the guys doing? How are the men in the audience? Are you good? Because everyone always goes, hi, oh, look at the beautiful women here tonight. Nobody ever, you know, like, <laughs> it's like, I always ask the guys, I go, I go, how are the men doing? How are the guys doing in the audience? I just want to check in with you guys because, you know, we're not getting a lot of good press lately, guys. I understand. I feel for you. You know, we're not the most popular demographic group, you know. I'll tell you, uh, Bruce Jenner, he got out just in time, okay? <laughs> that was the most perfectly timed exit. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> like, like, I, I thought at first when that happened, I thought that's kind of weird. A couple of years later, I'm like, well played, you know, yeah. like <laughs> that, that guy. He read the tea leaves and he went, good, ah, good long game. Yeah, yeah. Wow. He, he, he just went. He just went. Oh, they're dismantling the patriarchy. You know, sorry guys, I gotta go. Like he's just switching perfectly timed. How do you live off the patriarchy for all those years and then just when it starts to go down, you just switch teams yeah. like a genius. Yeah. Well played. What a jujitsu move. Now that bit that that gets this. Once again, it gets like this gasp of like, or is that, you know, and, and, I, and, and I always, I'm like, I'm like, it's a, it's a joke. It's this thing. It's not, and there's the people go, you know, oh, that's, it's transphobic, which is another thing. Tra well, it's transphobic. And I'm, and I'm always like, is it, is it real? Like, like, 
something phobic means that you're afraid of something or you're, you're terrified of something. It's like, well, I'm just doing a joke about reality and, and our perceptions of reality. I have nothing. I'm just I'm just trying to illuminate something that I noticed. Well, and, and, well, and it's tricky also because when you first start the joke, if a, if a guy is there with his girlfriend, say, or if he's on mm-hmm. a date, is he going to laugh at it yeah. for, for fear of offending his date? Well, I know. And, the, and that joke usually gets a universally good response because mm-hmm. it so comes out of nowhere and, it, and it's kind of got a, a twisty kind of... Uh, un- the, the premise is funny, but then the punchline with the Bruce Jenner, yeah, yeah. you know, that's got to yeah. hit. Yeah, that's, that nails. That, that really the, does The very well. first line, I'm, I'm betting sometimes not everyone is laughing. Like, they're chuckling, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Because it's a weird question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How but, the guys, but, you know, it's not, that's the setup. But, right? but the guys are probably a little nervous. What's, <laughs> right. what are the women in the room thinking? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but but that's what comedy is, and that's what it's supposed to be. It's a celebration of differences, and it should be an illumination of like of like topics that it's okay to talk about, that so, it's okay to broach them in that arena, in stand up above, above all. This is a place for that. This that's what drives me crazy about this. Well, coming back, circling full circle on the political correctness thing. It's like it's weird that comedy of all places should have any of these weird rules uh, placed on it when of all places, that's the place where you go, like, like you can say something junior. Like there was a, I, I was a camp when I was a camp counselor, when I was a teenager, like I worked in a, a camp and there was a kid in a wheelchair. And I remember everyone was so afraid to talk, like say anything about the guy. And I said, Hey, can you get up? We're moving here. Can you get, please? It's can't you, you, can you stop with this act? You all know. And the, he loved that because I was treating him like a person. I was making fun of the elephant in the room. And he loved me. Right, that, and obviously you, know? you weren't bullying him. No. And obviously you you wouldn't say that of course. if you didn't like him like for his the disability. Guy. And yeah. I hated the fact that everyone was like, oh, Timmy, does Timmy want to go? Like, like, uh, uh, Timmy, can you get up out of the chair? We, we, we're not buying this anymore. All right. Like, like, like nobody. And he thought that was the funniest thing. And it's, that's the irony that, that sometimes when you make fun of like, you supposedly a group or something, they're laughing, but the other people, because of their own issues, are not laughing. Because they're the ones having the discomfort. They're the ones that have the evidence. And if you're a comic and you call that out, it's magical to the people who t- feel, you know, like no one wants to say anything to me. And then, like, I, he thought that was the funniest thing ever. And 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 so that was to me the beauty of comedy. So the again, beauty it, of that. right? So again, it's like on the side of not just doing kind of the safe, like, you know, it's weird about tomatoes mm-hmm. and you're, and you're kind of doing this other side, which is, okay, let's figure out where there's a potential third rail and play both sides call of it it in this tricky way. It's on everyone's mind. I mean, I mean, things that are on everyone's mind, you know, like, like I, I mean, I did another joke where I said that, um, you know, I can't like I, the whole pro, you know, the, 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 the pronouns thing that you hear about in, in the press. And I said, uh, I said, I got to learn pronouns. I, I, it's just, I, I haven't even cracked the coffee sizes at Starbucks, okay? Like, and that's true. Mm-hmm. That's an actual true joke. I don't know what venti, I still don't know. What are they? Venti, mm-hmm. tall? I still don't know which one is which. I still, I just go in medium. Just give me the medium. I don't know what the medium, does anyone, what is the medium? I still don't know. 
So I'm uh, supposed to grande, learn. Grande, I think is. Yeah, the yeah, okay, grande, right? I don't even know what's the difference. Grande, tall. That makes no tall, sense to small. me. Yeah, exactly. Like, what you, I don't know that. I, 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 my, my, I've been on the brain. I, I've been on the planet too long to change the sizes of coffee drinks. You know what mm. I mean? Like it's grooved in. There's no more room in my head for this. Okay, I can't handle it. Mm. I don't. I have other things on my mind. So you're changing the pronouns. That's all well and good. Just give me a memo. And like when we when we talk, and I don't know, but I'm just saying that if you think I'm gonna do research into this, I can't. I'm I'm saying this is bad. I'm bad. I'm like saying that I just don't have the. I'm I'm not transphobic. I'm trans lazy. Okay, like like I just don't. I just don't have the ability to process new information and pick it up as quickly as other people. So I go to Starbucks and go, "Can I have a medium, a medium coffee, please?" And I I go, "I know there's Sometimes I still don't know the sizes. I honestly don't." I people go, "Well, you're making them no." I what is it tall? Like literally, yeah, right, grande, grande. right, venti. I don't know what that is. Grande, right? which means huge. we gotta go learn Latin to get a, a latte. Like like, what is this madness? Like like, I have no idea what's going on. That so a lot of my comedy comes from just i don't know what's happening i don't understand it i can't handle it it's so just like what's you know. your process when you're like you're sitting at home and and you say okay i'm gonna sit down with a pad mm -hmm. blank piece of paper and i'm gonna write a joke yeah do you say to yourself okay what's bothering me like how do you start off with like well i usually i have a i have a microphone uh -huh. i have a like a cordless microphone and i babble it out because i find that most of the time and i'll record it and most of the time i'll just ramble and say you know, something off the top of my head that's funnier, but I, for some strange reason, I need a microphone. Like, like I, <laughs> I don't know why. I feel weird. Well, maybe dude. because part of it is your, the act out. Yes, so, because I love act out. So I'll be like, I don't know. Like, I've been working on this bit about, you know, you get introductions all the time from comics, and some of them are really bad, and some of them are good, and usually, and I love a good introduction. But I got one recently where the guy said, uh, this next performer is one of comedy's best kept secrets. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 And I, and I thought that was so funny. Like, it's like, it's like, because it's sort of a covert way to say there's a lot of big names in comedy. This next performer is not one of them. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, he's been, and I've been trying to get the second line of that joke, like trying to write the second, the, the, I want to write the whole bit, but I know that's the, that's the opener. That's the, this next performer is not one of them. Right. Like, and I wrote 20, 30 different versions of that joke. Like, like where I was just exhausted from writing a, a covert way of saying this next performer, it's kind of passive aggressive way of saying, which is another way of saying, which you might as well just say, like I wrote every version that, that, that of, of that second, that's not even the laugh line. And I was writing every, but it's possible, a funny premise. It's a funny premise. So I wanted to get the wording exactly right. So I would just be like, it's a, it, which is a funny way of saying there's an ex, there's a lot of big names in comedy. The next performer is not one of them or this, uh, you know, uh, why don't you just say, there's a lot of big names in comedy, you know what I mean? Like just trying to find what's conversationally works and clicks with me. And and I finally am kind of just settled on this next, you know, which is an interesting way to say, uh, you know, which is not the best table setter for excitement, you know, to say this next performer is uh, a lot of big names in comedy. This next performer is not one of them, you know? And then I was like, okay, I got that down. That's step one. That's the opener. Then I got to get the second line, which is what do I say after that? So it's just like a lot, and it's exhausting because it's like, what do I say after that? And I finally cracked that the other night because I babbled it out and I just said, uh, it's a, he's been keeping a low profile in this business, okay? <laughs> that, I was like, okay, that's he's, number he's two. He's the James Bond of comedy. It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, just, he's been keeping a low profile and maintaining a shroud of anonymity. You know what I mean? Like, and I wanted to write- Comic 
Atomic 007. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. He's, he's been just like really, really keeping uh, it, it under wraps, flying under the radar. <laughs> I wrote every possible iteration of it's what like you could say about someone. Yeah, of maintaining someone's complete lack of name recognition, you know, like like and maintaining a low level of, of, of uh, notoriety, you know. And so I've been just like writing that bit and working that out and trying to get it because I think it's great for TV. I'd love to do that one on TV because I think it's really funny because they're going to introduce you on TV. So I could just go, that was a great intro. And you don't always get that, you know, yeah. like it's a perfect for me. It's just like a perfect You're, you're intro. fascinated by intros because I like, love that stuff. the very first time I saw you, uh, it was probably a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. was, they 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 give you a great intro. Right. You know, you've seen him on this, you've seen him on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's funny. Yeah. And then you said, um, Boy, I wish in every profession yes, you would yes, get yes. you would get an intro like that, yeah. like you know. And then you named an accounting firm, like yes. you know, Cohen Cohen, yeah, 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 Steinhardt, and <laughs> and here we have you know a uh, new accountant. Yes. Uh, you might have seen him in uh, uh, cost analysis. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did a bit about why don't they introduce you in? And I've never been able to make this bit completely. I've never been completely happy with it because I'm most comics are happy with a this is it's sort of a seven or six point five I call it right now. It's so funny because I I find it to be really funny, but go go ahead. Yeah, but it's just a, it, I've still it needs some tweaking still because getting into it is so laborious. The wording is just like you, they should have a, you should be introduced. You accountants don't get that. You don't get an if you show up to work. There's no MC who introduces you if you're an accountant. And no matter and I think it would be much better for accountants to get an intro because I think accounting is boring. And so they would be much cooler if you showed up at work and there was a guy, an MC with a microphone uh, going, this, uh, are y'all ready for some cost benefit analysis? Uh, this next, cause I'm going to bring up a man right now. Who's one of the most fiscally responsible people <laughs> in the financial industry today. He's one of our favorites here at Showman, Showman and Weiss. So give it up for the asset allocating, debt consolidating, mass and command of market capitalization and the mystical maestro mortgage amortization, Kenny Birnbaum, you know? And, and, and so I thought that's really funny. And I did one night on the center of New York and I had that bit and there was a guy from the financial sector who had chains on and he had his, 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 his his buddies there and people were mocking him all night going you ain't no accountant like you ain't no you don't look like an accountant and he was a black guy and he was just sitting there like really he was he was like decked out like it would change he didn't look like an accountant so that bit i whipped that bit out i nearly got the like an ovation from everybody because it looked like i came up with it right off the top of my head and some of it i ad-libbed because i weaved him into it but that bit was like perfect for that guy and i love see that's the thing i love intros and stuff about yeah i've written like tons of bits about what an intro is like, or I'll say something about, I can't live up to that, you know? You'd say something about negative about me so that I can, like, you but, know, rally. But it's interesting how earlier you said you you some, you some like to joke about comedy, and yeah. so that's, for instance, is a joke about yeah, comedy, about the about comedy, comedy form and kind of applying it to mm -hmm. real life. And then I really like when I've seen you in front of a crowd that was totally dead, mm -hmm. it's like you were able to whip out you know, you, maybe I don't even know what you're thinking in your head. Maybe you're saying, okay, I'm not going to do my usual set. I'm going to, I have prepared a set for exactly this kind of audience. Right. And you get them to laugh because, yeah. you know, you have the whole thing where, um, you know, I almost didn't make it. I was at a, a <laughs> cancer Children's hospital. hospital. Yeah, yeah. There was a child yes. there. Are you Brian Scott McFadden? <laughs> can you, yeah. can, can you just sit by me for a while? And you're like, no, Timmy, because. <laughs> There's a, a lot of people at, at Stand this comedy New York club, right? gotta, who, who, who need me too. <laughs> right. So when you, and then you say, when you guys laugh, a kid's life yeah, is saved. You'll save a kid's <laughs> life. Yes. Uh, well, I, I wanted to, I love the, I, of comedy as manipulation and guilt inducing. If you don't, 
that's like a, a coping mechanism for me. If, you, if you're not going to laugh at my jokes, then I'm going to tell you a story that will make you shame you into laughing. Like that was another strategy that I, I always thought was funny. If you reframe their desire not to laugh as something that harms them. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, like you can, and, and calling that out to me is fun. Like, just like we're saying, saying, if you don't laugh, there's a child, a child will die. Right. Like, like, like to me, that's so funny. Like, because, because, and crowds, especially when they're curmudgeonly, crowds are, are, you know, they're like scared animals sometimes. And you have to be able to read them and go, what does this crowd need? You know, and sometimes you'll guess wrong. And I've done it. At, stand, at, at, at one time at uh, stand up, I, I went up and, and uh, I just guessed everything wrong. Like I thought they were all from New York and they were all out of towners. Mm -hmm. I, I like, and I just did all the wrong bits and just dug myself a deep hole. Luckily, I'm able to usually rally in those situations and get a good laugh at the end. But I, I missed, I mistimed, misjudged, and mis talked to the exact wrong person who was going to then open the door to them heckling and drunk, and they were like, "So you just try to you try to navigate that." What you were saying earlier about like, what do you say? Uh, how do you deal with those kind of crowds where you know, oh, I'm going to blame myself if I don't do well, and I always do. I always blame. What could I have done better? But sometimes you're just not what what you you what you'll realize is that. You'll guess wrong sometimes <laughs> and you learn from it and hope you can add more things to your repertoire. There's things you're going to be facing, like following a big name. You're going to be facing that. So, and, and, you know, you know, you know what, what I do, which you can't really do because you you do multiple shows a night at different clubs usually, right? right. Like you'll yeah. stand up in New York and you'll go mm -hmm. across town or mm -hmm. whatever. So I try to get to the club before it starts. So I watch people walking yes. in. Sometimes I'll even talk to them walking in, so yeah. they're primed. When they see me, they yes. think I know them now, and I'm right. looking at them. They yeah, think yeah, they, yeah. they're sort of more primed to to want to laugh. And then I'll watch, it's very important for me to watch the MC do his initial set because he's figuring out who everybody is. Yeah. And then you'll see a lot of comedians ask the same questions as the MC, sure. and they because they don't know the MC asked them, and yeah. the crowd gets bored of that. But I'm all ready to go. You're with, already with to the go, crowd. yeah. Yeah. So, I get torn between on that. Sometimes I think, sometimes for me, I like to know everything about the crowd. And other times I like to go and just fly in off the street. I have no idea what's been talked about. And I actually wrote a bit about that where I, I go up with a pad and I just ask the audience what's been talked about. Like, like <laughs> you know, like I, I go, has politics been talked about? And I'll just go, I want to cross that off the list. And, you know, has anyone talked about the bullfighting? Has anyone talked about that? Has anyone... You know, uh, uh, relationships, sex, uh, fetal alcohol syndrome. Has anyone talked about that? Because I got a 20-minute chunk on that. And is that good to go? We're good on that? All right, I'll get into that. That's awesome. You know, and I'll just like, uh, how about bullfighting when you have fetal alcohol syndrome? Has anyone done those, connected those two dots? Because there's some magic in that, and I'm going to get to that later. So I'll, I'll, I'll make fun of what we all do as comics, which is we wonder, who did somebody talk about this earlier? Because sometimes you'll do a joke, you'll, it'll get nothing. That usually kills, and you'll go, uh-oh, somebody strip-mined this already. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, and maybe they're doing my joke, or, or, or somebody already did that, or you'll get something like that. Usually, well, you know. When you, do, when, you do, um, when you have to go on a late-night show, uh, I don't know what late night shows you've done. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what, what's, what's an example late-night show? Like, you mean, oh, like you mean Conan? Letterman? Or, yeah. I did, like, yeah. With the Letterman and, and Craig Ferguson. How do you change your approach when it's like five minutes to like so a super tight yeah. five minutes where you can't even really move that much? Yeah. And and it's to a national audience. Yeah. I mean, Bill Hicks said that, you know, doing network TV is like 
they put you in a dress and tell you to be yourself, you know, that, that, and that's perfect representation of what it's like. Uh, you know, when you do, when you do like a late night set, usually they'll vet it really carefully. Like Eddie Brill went over my Letterman set really, really carefully. And then, cause they're, they were, it was a big show and they, you didn't get any wiggle room. Like, and is that, like you, you probably really can't like tell a story. I probably have to do very tight premise, punchline. Well, premise, especially punchline. when it's your first time out, that was my network television debut. So that was, that was really scripted. And even they cut one joke right before I went on stage. And if you watch the set, I still watch it going, you see me right there? That's me going, I'm about to do the joke they told me not to do it right there. And I pivoted because I was I, I done the, you rehearse a set so much. You run it, you run it, you run it, you run it. And then at the last minute they said, ah, somebody had a problem with this thing. So don't do that one joke. But you're so drilled into it. It's like the coffee size of the Starbucks. I can't remember new information. So but I pulled it off because it only was a moment of like, I was about to do the joke that they said I couldn't do. And then I stopped. Do you right? feel those late night sets are less art form and more about just industry acceptance? Yeah, it, it's more, it's a little artificial um, because the crowd is already pumped. It's hard to not have a good set on television. You know, you I've seen them, but, but it's harder to bomb on television because the crowd is already hyped up and they want, the laugh is halfway in their throat already. Like, like if you, if you eat it on TV, you, you're really, you know, you're, you're not, you're, you've got a problem. <laughs> new, new career yeah, right, yeah, exactly. Because you're really, the crowd is really hyped and they really want to like you. You've got the stamp of approval of the host, Letterman likes you or Fallon likes you or Conan likes you. So, you know, you already, you're already halfway there. And chances are, if you've got the, the talent booker has gone over the set and gone over the set with you and you know it's a strong set. Like I have like three pieces now that I want to put together for a set. TV spot, which I know, all right, that's going to get a huge applause break on TV, I think, or that, or that bit is good for TV. And I just want to, you know, do a little more tweaking on some of those. But yeah, if you're doing, it is a bit artificial compared to a club set. Um, although but, so, although you know, some comedians, I think uh, they could, they could like take, uh, I'm thinking of Gary Goldman's set on Conan where he did the abbreviated yeah. States joke. Brilliant. That was like a perfect story yeah. structure, Correct. but with like tons of punchlines in the middle Amazing, yeah. and it fit exactly six exactly, minutes. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. it worked somehow for perfectly. Right. And if you see like Garrett, that bit is just gold and just like perfectly worded with so many circuitous little avenues of comedy that go off the rails and come back and then you know, and Dottie, you know, like yeah. Dottie, you know, like I thought she's like, and, and it's great. And then you'll see somebody like Sam Kinison, who's on Letterman. If you watch Sam Kinison said, he's literally talking about how he's editing in his head. Like on Letterman, like, like he says it and network TV, you know, like, like he's like, he's like watching what he's saying on when he's doing the set because Sam had gotten so big at that point that even the networks were like, we're going to put him on. We, we hope it, it goes well. And I'm sure they vetted his set to a certain degree, but Sam was such a loose cannon that it almost seemed like he might blurt out something at any moment that got him in trouble. So you, I think that's his first son of Letterman. Maybe it's the second one. I don't remember, but he's, he's literally doing, he's literally doing a set and he just goes network TV, you know, like, like, like where he, he cuts something right in the middle of it and, and says, I can't say that word. Okay, let's move it on. And he's commenting on it. It's just like hilarious mm. to watch somebody literally editing their own set because it's network television and it's not his natural environment, you know? So that was, that's, that's funny. If you want to watch like stuff like that, that's interesting to see the dichotomy between live performance, especially someone who doesn't ordinarily fit into that. And Hicks was great because as, as funny as he was, you don't think of him as like a great Letterman comic because he's 
kind of he had a lot of dirty stuff, edgy stuff. But then you watch his sets and they're hilariously funny. People, he's like underrated as a true comedian. If you watch some of, he had these great jokes, like like where like he had one of the best jokes about male female relationships and and he said and it's perfect. It's like a perfect joke. He goes, I, I think I figured out men and women. Uh, it was started in the Garden of Eden. It's my favorite joke about relationships. <laughs> started in the Garden of Eden. Uh, uh, God says to uh, Eve comes up to Adam and Adam says to Eve, like, look, Adam says to Eve, look, look, we're, we're, we're immortal. We have everything we ever need for all eternity. You know, we'll never grow old. We have everything we need. We'll never grow old. We'll never die. And all wishes come true the moment we have them. And Eve said, uh, yeah, it's just not enough, is it? Right. <laughs> right. And to me, that's, that's like a perfect representation, not just a male female relationships, but about just, just the, the human condition of right. dissatisfaction in general of never being able to be happy with almost everything that you have. And that's a great joke that Hicks did on, on TV. And, and always bother me that great jokes like that fall down the memory hole. And that's like a Zen koan. That's like a genius little piece of, that's a poem, you know? That's like a, a little poem that, and people don't give jokes the respect. You know, certain Stephen Wright jokes have fallen into the, you know, zeitgeist of like people remember and maybe, uh, you know, um, what's his name? Mitch Hedberg. Uh, yeah, Mitch Hedberg has a couple that people have really stick with people because they've been reproduced in memes. But there's a lot of great jokes that just get forgotten and, and not remembered that were really funny and and reach the level of art, you know? And, and I've always wondered why comedy doesn't get that kind of... I wonder if you know? can sort of take a joke like that, though, and let's say, okay, you're not going to repeat his joke mm -hmm. for obvious reasons, but it's just like there's only so many stories, and then they're retold over and over again. Yeah. There's like the, the cowboy version of Star Wars, the... Yeah. the you know, detective version of Star Wars. But there's always another way in. Mm -hmm. You know, there's always another way to say the same thing, you know? Yeah, like, like, like that joke, it makes me think of you know, Americans always feel like, like our conditions can be improved. Yeah. You know, try telling, you know, and then the, the, you know, you make some comparison to the kid in Ethiopia who ends up in jail in America and he's writing home to his mom, like all these great things that are happening to right, him Right, right, yeah. Like he gets a meal three times a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, Everything and from plumbing. perspective, yes. Yeah. It's, that's, yeah, that's true. And that's what, that's he could what, express free love with his yeah, roommate all never, the time. It, there's always a new way to say something. Like uh, Brian Regan does this bit about uh, uh, the, the scoring in tennis, and it's just perfect. Like I watch it and I go, well, you can't do another bit about scoring in tennis. Uh, or at least I can't. Watching Brian's joke, he, he takes everything 30 love and, and says how ridiculous the verbiage is in that, and he, and he just nails it. Just every possible angle, he just hits it and just hits it completely out of the park. It's so funny, it's, it's so perfectly worded. And, and I just go, well, I can't write another joke. Uh, uh, you can't, no one's gonna be able to write a bit about, but someone will. Do you ever feel that about like Louis C.K.? Because he kind of hits every single topic ever. Well, yeah, but Louis always has his own weird take on it that, mm -hmm. that you, go, you, go, you go, okay, that's bizarre world. I didn't really think of that angle on that. And, and so that's the challenge. Someone's someone strip mine that already. You gotta, you gotta man up, you gotta comedy up and, and find something that no one's talked about. Yeah. You know, when I did the, what women want bit, what I, what I, what I did on Letterman, they, I just, I sat there for hours with a thesaurus coming up with words and words. And I just wrote endless combinations until I finally cracked it on stage. And then and, and it just took, it just takes work. It's hard. It's hard. You can, the easiest jokes sometimes come to you either right away 
or after laborious hours of like trying to find the right word or the right insight into it. Yeah, like like Gary Goldman with that abbreviated state show. I know, it's said, ridiculous. He, he said it took him 20 years to write. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing. And you can tell because everything in that joke, that joke has circumlocutions and off ramps of weirdness and 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 that's what makes it so good is it's just not this one thing it's an it's just goes all over the map and comes back and 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 it's something that everyone's noticed and seen but no one's articulated that well mm. and so it's just a masterpiece if anyone wants to see a great bit yeah gary goldman uh abbreviations of the states well well uh gary once came on the podcast and we spent 90 minutes just breaking down that one joke oh yeah that okay. we i printed up the joke yeah and oh, you, you, he was on and you did that? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's and ridiculous. then we just went over word by word. And uh, I, yeah, you I could do that. I don't think he enjoyed doing it so much, actually, because <laughs> he was like, You oh. loved it, but yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, it was fun. You get macro, you get micro and macro with these things. So he, I can tell, I can tell he'd be like, he'd be like, I already did this. Like, like, but, but, but I can tell, like, he was for, trapped in the studio. Yes. We got him. Talking about it one bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I don't know if we solved political correctness in comedy <laughs> or in the world. I don't know if we did. But, but did we? Did we crack the code, guys? <laughs> Have we ended it? Have but we I, fixed the problem? I think we did. This one podcast. Everybody needs to lighten up. It's a comedy club. And yes, you know, it, the, I, all I could say is comedians, stop stop solving. Go to your congressman and pass legislation. Don't go to yuck yucks and protest comedians. Show up at your congressman. Go door to door. Pass out leaflets and stop heckling comics. Okay, so, that's. <laughs> so, well, okay. Uh, here's what I think I got out of it, which is that A, I do think it is interesting to hit that politically correct edge mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. figure out almost like a puzzle how to find yes. the funny out of it. Absolutely. Without being too, because yes, they're going to be offended. And you don't, if they're too offended, you're not going to be asked back to the comedy club. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So you have to, you have to, correctly or incorrectly, you have to play around the edge a little bit. Yes. Um, but I think that's more interesting for, for the art form mm -hmm. than just having a quirky punchline and, and premise. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I Absolutely. also, I also think calling out what the it sort of underlines what I've already thought about. It's calling out what the audience is thinking. So if they don't like the joke about Rosa Parks, <laughs> you kind of make it ridiculous. You 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 sort of put the onus on them to feel ridiculous, which is like, yes, I know a joke about seating arrangements is very controversial, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. or something like right, that. Right, right, Um That seating logistics uh, humor is very, uh, <laughs> very politically incorrect right. to call out seating arrangements. Really? Really? Is that what we're, you know? It's it's, it's amazing to me. It's and, amazing to me. And there's a third thing I got out of it. And you can't remember. I can't remember now. <laughs> we're, getting, we're just getting older. I just can't yeah, remember. Yeah, you're, you're losing it. Yeah. You're losing it. It's just like the coffee sizes at Starbucks. I can't right. remember them. I can't right. remember. Only, I have no only, room in my head for more information. It'll hit me yeah. what the third thing was, because I had three things when I started that. Absolutely. <laughs> right. It'll hit you after the podcast, as always. Yes. The funniest joke will hit me on oh. the subway after I spent eight hours writing. You know, Does that happen to you? So All the time. I'll do a set and... Okay, so this this is in... in the. You know, you were talking about, um, or we were, we were sort of talking about a little bit. Sometimes you have to follow comics where it's very hard. Yeah. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had to follow Aaron Berg, who's very hard to follow. Sure. Because uh, he does so much crowd work, yeah, he gets so like crowd. a million laughs a minute. Yeah. Um, but and I've I've always done poorly following him because right. you don't know what to do. 
So this time though, I had a new idea, which is I'm going to do an impression of him. Ah, so I, funny. so I said, right. I said to the audience, I'm going to do an impression of Aaron Burr got it, going through Saudi Arabian customs. Mm -hmm. And okay. how did this go? I want to hear about it. it what it, was it, the bit? It, I well, 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 I basically just imitated his, I sat in the chair, which yeah. I, ne I never do. Right. And I imitated his voice. Right. He's got a certain pitch in his voice. And I just repeated some of his jokes that would be kind of oh. annoying at Saudi Arabian customs. Oh, okay. okay. And because right, right. he talks about like, oh, what's Jewish Vin Diesel doing up here? Right, and, right, uh, right, right, right. Uh, so I kind of like That's put funny. it in that, in that context. And I did it poorly but the point was is that i was doing it and the audience got it It didn't matter yeah. yeah so i could even stand up and say i can't do him yeah and but then that separates finally the connection between the audience and what he was doing yes. to them yes so it works you got to sever that they have a relationship that's why i always tell mcs like i i don't like when the mc just goes all right it, it, it brings you up right after the other guy because the audience needs time to grieve Right. The loss of their relationship with a performer. A bond forms for like 15 minutes. They have this kind of relationship. They're interacting. They're adjusting to his energy. They get, a, it's like they're bonding, they're bonding, they're bonding, and then it's severed. They say goodnight. And then the audience is slightly disoriented, okay? And it's the MC's job at that moment to usher them through the grief process, whether it be 30 seconds with one joke or whatever, and readjust and recalibrate to the fact that there's an ongoing show. That wasn't the last guy. That's not the end of the show. I know he's gone. I know you've experienced a loss, okay? But we want you to hang in there. It's not over yet. There's another guy. Because like a lot of times when they attach to a guy, especially if he's killing, they don't want him to leave. Right. Don't leave me. Don't, no. And there's a, they've been abandoned. So there you have to, a lot of MCs, they don't realize that you're dealing with a traumatized group of people who've lost their leader. Like the person that they most have this bond, this creative, emotional bond has formed, this, this connective tissue. And then they just, you feel like a substitute teacher coming up. If you're the next comic, you feel like an invader, an interloper in this relationship that's just, oh, where's the other guy? Who are you? Like, like I don't, I'm not ready to date yet. I need to grieve the other guy. I'm not ready to be of a new guy. So you have to say something about that, or the MC has to do it. A lot of times the MC won't. You know, because they don't want to, they don't, they, they feel that they're not liked because they, they're, they don't want to take the heat. So they'll just, they'll just go, the next guy's a really funny guy. Yeah. And then they'll just bolt the stage and you'll be like, okay, now I got to be the one who takes the, the, the pain, like the substitute, you know, the stepfather, the step comic has to come on stage and go on stage and they go, we don't like you. We want Aaron back. You know, it's like, it's like, I know I miss him too. Okay. But, <laughs> but, but I'm all you have. Okay. Let's, the, the quicker we get over this, the better it's going to be for all of us. I'll give you a moment. I understand, but I'm here now and I'm the only comic in the room left. Okay. Aaron is out doing another show right now. Okay. With another new <laughs> fresh group of people. How does that make you feel? Okay. Is, you know, this is great advice because I have to MC tonight so yeah exactly so you could do you could kind of go through the whole five stages of grief with yeah the, yeah with yeah it's elizabeth kubler ross yeah. uh you know you know uh, anger denial bargaining uh and acceptance it's like now now we got to get to acceptance right now okay right. folks all right you can bargain and go well what if we what if we made a pact and and could aaron come back no he's not coming back you can't bargain your way out of this denial he's gone okay you know anger yes i'm angry too you know what is it anger bargaining denial there's this anger Bargain, uh, no, denial, anger, bargaining. What? Um, We're missing gr one. Grief, Depression. grief, yeah, Depression and acceptance. What is it? De grief. Death, anger, denial, bargaining, acceptance. What? I'm missing one. Depression? Depression, acceptance. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right.
Yeah, you get sad. Yeah, you get sad. You finally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, finally you, at the acceptance you, stage. Okay? I have cancer. I'm sad. Right, and the I sixth stage here. is James Altiger. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like that's the set, the last stage of grieving. Right, right exactly. <laughs> right, they like, see like, me on stage. We're at that now. Okay, so 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 get to that stage right now because I got I only got eight more minutes left up here, and there's not enough time to go through the entire Elizabeth Kubler Ross hierarchy chart right now. So there you go. So that's one way, and that's true. That's something that no one realizes. Like I worked with Seinfeld one time, and and before he was like huge, like like I had, I was like I think I was seventeen or something like that on a show with him, and and somebody crushed in front of him, and I was the MC, and he goes, "Hey, do some time in the middle," and I wasn't supposed to because the owner said, "No, you know, don't don't do any time," because I was young and I wasn't that good, right? So, but he came up to me, and goes. Uh, do some time in the middle, uh, and I and I end up taking. By the that, bullet. Way, that was a good Seinfeld mumble. Oh, I, I heard the Seinfeld. Yeah, uh, what the deal with there? What's with this James Altucher guy? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Why is he on the show? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, so yeah, we're doing voices again. I'm back doing impressions, right? Oh, hey, what would it be like if Jerry Seinfeld worked at McDonald's? You know, like, like, I hate impression shit. At least I used to mock the shit out of that. That was so funny, huh? Hey, wh what's the deal with these fries? Uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, well, I don't know what we're saying. This oh, a, yeah. He, 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 he said, he said, go up and do a little time in the middle, which I wasn't supposed to. But I, he told, he said, Mr. Seinfeld told me I had to go do time, uh, sir. And so I went up and I did one minute and ate it. But he, you know, with nothing, like I had crappy material, and and but it helped the show. But the owner was like, "What the hell are you freaking doing? I told you not to do no time." And like, yeah, but Mr. Seinfeld said he wanted me to do time. I didn't know who am I supposed to answer to, like the you know the superstar comedian, the club owner. I didn't know I'm supposed to answer the club owner, but I didn't want to alienate, you know. So that that's the MC's job is to sometimes take the bullet for you know to make the show better yeah. even and some don't want to do that and i understand it but then sometimes it puts you in a position in which you have to shoulder the burden of sh of shepherding this traumatized abandoned group of people through the grief process and letting go and then acclimating them to your comedy you know so no it, it's an interesting way to look at it uh because because i used to do a lot of public speaking mm -hmm. and i had one time where I was literally going onto the stage right after Julian Assange. So oh, listen, wow. Julian Assange, you know, he's he was in the embassy in the UK and Ecuador, but I've he never had, had to follow Julian Assange. <laughs> I've never, uh, uh, very few fan comics can say that story. Right. So he, I got to follow, you know who went on ahead of me, did a guest spot? Julian Assange. Okay. See, you know, he was Skyping. Edward Snowden did a quick 10. <laughs> he was warming up for Letterman. And he did <laughs> really, really. So, yeah, so yeah. Julius Assange, he, he was Skyping in. They had him on a huge movie theater size screen. Oh, it's like God. a thousand people. Wow. And uh, uh, and he spoke for an hour right. about the dangers of society and yeah. the government's listening and even WikiLeaks is listening. Right. So I'm trying. It's like a, it was like a Rubik's cube. I'm trying to figure out how am I how, gonna how to break the connection yeah. between the audience and him. Yeah, yeah. So what I did was I walked out on stage pretending to talk on my phone. Oh, that's one. And I said, yeah, yeah. It was just Julian Assange. <laughs> he was incredible. No, right. no, no, not Benedict Cumberbatch. It was the actual ah, Julian Assange. That's funny. Yeah. And uh, and he said that even WikiLeaks is listening to our conversations. And so then I hold up the phone. Said if everybody's listening to my conversations, this is horrible. So I. Turned that's around great. and I smashed the phone into pieces. Oh, that's awesome. And they were all shocked. And then right. that broke the connection. There you go. See so. that? See, that's that's what I'm talking about. That's some of the little things that 
you don't realize See, that really helps your experience as a comic because you're comfortable speaking in front of people. Most people go up cold in that. At least you had that experience of that. And you have to follow Julian Assange. How many comics can say that? Right. <laughs> you know, well, I always movie. try to figure out how to kind of like borrow the 10,000 hours from other places yeah. where I've learned to sure. communicate humorously yeah. into this. So I don't, because yeah. I'm not going to spend 10,000 hours on <laughs> this. <laughs> I'll be right. an old man yeah. by the time. What's the deal with Julian Assange? <laughs> He's I gotta follow Julian Assange. They're putting Edward Snowden in the middle spot. <laughs> anyway. Well, Brian Scott McFadden, I think we conquered several yes. problems. Yes. And uh B. What's... Scott McFadden on Twitter. B. Find Scott me on, Yeah, find me on Twitter. B. Scott McFadden on Twitter. And what do you do you I'm do uh some... YouTube stuff? I do YouTube stuff, yeah. I got a, a web show coming out, and I'll be talking about that. And, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> I don't want to bring that up here or not. I'm not sure, whatever, but... Uh, bring it up. Just yeah. Uh, yeah. You, Are like you going to do it for YouTube? Y yes, yes. Okay. So, so look for that. What's it called? <laughs> what, what's it called? It's called uh, Agent of Trump, right? right we'll, <laughs> Where I we'll, play Donald Trump's agent. Right, it's a it's a lighthearted, crazy, insane uh, show, and uh, and look for that. It's really funny. You know what? <laughs> you should um, so two two. I'll I'll close with two pieces of advice. Yeah. You should animate at least one of the episodes. Okay, like take one of the episodes and then. It's you and Trump mm -hmm. and it's animated voice and you doing all the voices. Yeah, that's fine. You know, and yeah. it's an yeah, animation. Yeah, yeah. But they already have that with uh, 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 my friend uh, Jeff Bergman's on uh, uh, my cartoon president, the cartoon president oh, on right, Showtime. Right, right. So Showtime. they already have a, kind of have that. So he's already, they're already doing that. It's been covered. It kind of annoys me. But not uh, from the but it's great. perspective, it's great. maybe it's a way to pitch into that. Right. Yes, so, that's true. It's a great show, by the way. And the other thing is a lot of your... Bits, even the ones you mentioned here, are, are standalone. You could put th just those bits up on YouTube. True. Like a two-minute... That's perfect yes. for YouTube. It's like a two-minute YouTube True. clip. True. So, anyway, yeah. that's my two pieces well, of Thank advice. you, James. So, oh, thanks once again, Brian yeah, Scott McFadden. Scott McFadden on uh, Twitter, and uh, we'll be talking more. Uh, James, it's a pleasure. It's been a thrill to be here in, the, in this episode. <laughs> and we covered a lot, didn't we? Covered a lot. Mm -hmm.